So, in this episode, we talk to fellow comic crazy Andrew. We talk about our favorite characters, the best things about them, the worst things about them, how it drives us wild, how it drives us insane in all the best and worst ways, and let's see how you feel about it, because it makes us feel like shit most of the time. But, that's enough of me talking about it, time for you to experience it. Bye-bye. Alright, so, your name, let me get to know you, everything about you. All right, everything. Well, that's, that's... well yeah, we'll, we'll make everything like a five, ten minute thing. All right. All right. Well, my name's Andrew. Um, I am a streamer on Twitch and on YouTube. Uh, my, my handle's Caffeinated Wolf with an E at the end. I'm a writer and editor and an admin for geeksandgamers.com. Uh, I do a lot of comic book and video game focused stuff there. Um, I'm a big old geek, really. I mean, I, I love yeah. all sorts of the geek culture, fandom uh, comprises about a bazillion and a half facets, right? There's, you got video games, and within that, you have all your different genres. You got sci-fi stuff and entertainment. You got your Star Trekkies. You got your Star Wars fans. Yeah. I'm, I'm more Star Wars on that end. Um, and then you got comic books, and that's where the bulk of my fandom knowledge kind of resides. Um, and it's something that I've built on collectively over the last few decades, really, starting with uh, very first comic books I ever held in my hand were uh, post zero hour issues of the flash and man of steel so they were the zero issues yeah, yeah, yeah. um there was like the, the reboot the kickoff after that event and uh yeah ever since i've just built up a collection of comic books i've got a zillion and a half of them on my uh, tablet as well so i can read them when i'm on the go because uh, i can't exactly carry all my long boxes with me everywhere i go yeah i know that feeling um, I guess one main question, uh, were you more Marvel or DC orientated? See, that's a question that I've flip-flopped on over the last uh, decade and a half, maybe. If you had asked me when I was a teenager, am I more of a Marvel or DC guy? Probably would have said more Marvel. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, huge webhead, huge, huge webhead. Uh, I used to love the X-Men emphasis on used to, and, oh. uh, also used to, um, really love that. One of my more, uh, I guess less popular but probably my second favorite character in all of Marvel was Carol Danvers up until the end of um, Brian Reed's run in the early 2000s. Uh, mm -hmm. He had a fantastic run on the character. And uh, after that, the character kind of went to hell for me. But uh, if you then asked me in my 20s, I probably would have said, eh, I don't work for Marvel or DC. I don't chill for either. I, I like characters from both. I have comics and, and other media and other you know, memorabilia from both. You know, I, I don't discriminate. I'm good with both of them. Now, if you ask me, I'm probably more of a DC guy because I, I, I looked at my collection of stuff and I said, okay, so I, I have some broad Marvel comics knowledge you know, with regards to Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America, you know, some of the bigger names. And then I have my three main focus areas in there and it's Spider-Man, uh, Miss Marvel and X-Men. But outside of that, I don't really have much now that I think about it. And then I looked at all my DC stuff and I'm like, I, I guess I'm more of a DC guy. It, it was something that I just hadn't thought about, but I just naturally gravitated towards more of the characters. I and think that's great. More that's a great way to put it. Cause especially when people say like, are you Marvel or DC? It's like, when you're a comic book reader, you're not like, well, I'm not, I'm not fucking picking a football team for the Super Bowl. Like yeah. you're looking <laughs> right. at it like, well, I just like these characters. And the biggest thing about comics when you're getting into it, you're not looking about what crossover is happening. You're like, what character can I latch onto or can I find interesting? Mm -hmm. And then you revolve around that character, get into the supporting cast, find other characters they meet up with, get into that. And it's never about, oh, what am I finding more and more into? But I think that's my biggest thing is that, hands down for me, more personally a DC guy. 
N- never. I couldn't tell Marvel. based on the Nightwing shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I love Marvel. I love X Men. I I love a lot of the Spider centric characters because Spider Man's great. But the best thing about his character is he really builds a support a supporting cast more than yeah. any other characters do. Besides maybe like a few of the DC family centered universes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Marvel does a lot of good work, but. I know so much knowledge for DC. Mm. DC is a world that's built on history. And that's why it's so easy to get into. With yeah. Marvel, the crossovers feel like every time you're getting into it, one thing breaks down and everyone breaks down. And it feels like you're playing Jenga. Every time the tower gets bigger and builder, they pull yeah. it out and start over again. But with DC, it's like, you know, they get a bunch of uh, shtick about like, oh, they're always rebooting. You know, they do it every five years. That comment infuriates me to no end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually factually incorrect. Two reboots. <laughs> two. Two main reboots, yes. Two reboots. I hate hearing that. A <laughs> they, soft they reboot do, isn't they a reboot. They do refreshes. They do refreshes. Yeah. But that's not a full-on reboot. Not, yeah. not even close. But um, you always feel like you can just get so latched onto it. And like I said before, history. And that is a good and bad thing about DC Comics is because mm-hmm. there is history. They yeah. have to acknowledge it sometimes, and when they don't, it's frustrating. But it's because they, they they pick and choose what to acknowledge and what not to oh, at times. They, they they flip flop on it. It's like so the, this is a thing again. We're doing this. this yeah. Okay. I, we're doing this again. I guess we haven't done this in ten years, but that's fine. Oh, that that's the worst thing. They'll bring it up out of nowhere. I I know when they announce a lot of characters that are coming in for like Infinite Frontier. I'm like, I haven't heard his name in fifteen years. Yeah. Like, is that a bad thing? Probably not, but like, yeah, you can't just drop that out of nowhere. Like, yeah. everyone's gonna ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up the Suicide Squad book, and they've got Shrike from like that hasn't <laughs> been in Nightwing since over 20, 25 years ago. And yeah. I'm like, hey, what is he doing? Like, yeah, is he been? He's not been dead, but he hasn't existed. And it's just like, oh yeah, that guy's just there. It's like nobody is gonna know this who isn't at least 20 to 30 years old like yeah and and that's that's one of the issues that i have with uh i mean this could spawn a whole big thing but their their latest kind of refresh in in saying everything matters now everything had happened that's not how storytelling works um and i'm i'm concerned that it's going to end up being a modern day um repeat of what happened after um and leading up to crisis on infinite earths where they were having major continuity issues and they tried kind of condensing that and this is kind of going to be the opposite effect so instead of like narrowing things down and being like oh well we we still like this so we're going to find a way to make this fit in here oh, yeah. and this ah, we kind of like this too and then you know through or the years in between that and infinite crisis when they expanded the multiverse again um they, they had all these massive continuity issues with characters and the storylines like wait did that not happen anymore is that not a thing oh wait this is a thing again right okay fine confusing whatever but now it's like everything is happening you have any idea how conflicting that's going to be yeah it doesn't it cannot possibly make sense either like, it will change about, they'll, but, they'll, they'll reboot yeah it again. when they say everything happens or everything matters it's like everything that we're gonna tell you in five years is important is what's gonna matter and mm-hmm. those other things don't worry about it it's not yeah. canon it's like it's an easy way of saying hey jump on if you've jumped off for a while but at the same time don't expect too much because that's the way I, it is the the whole new infinite frontier and in the omniverse i think um and this kind of goes back to a point that you had just made a minute ago Whereas DC is easier to get into 
because they they chronicle their history better, right? You you, you said it pretty well there. They, they built it off of history. That being said, there are certain jumping on points that are better than others. I yeah. I personally feel, um, and I've only read a couple of comics so far, but I personally feel that Infinite Frontier is going to be a really bad jumping on point for people. I think there are a couple of really solid ones for people that want to either have some good meat to work with and some good storylines, you know, in kind of a modern era. And then there's some good jumping on points for people that's like, all right, I want to really get into the nitty gritty of this character, right? And I think that stuff's like the, you know, the 90s and the 2000s stuff for people that don't want to jump back into you know golden and silver age comics because then you're now we're really getting into the weeds but if you uh, yeah. jump into like the 2000s there are a lot of really great jumping on points especially I, in dc but marvel doesn't do that because marvel's never truly rebooted and that's such a problem i i, I don't care what anyone says about dc having too many reboots or refreshments it's like doesn't matter marvel it's not that it feels stale but it feels like they so are picky with like, nah, we don't need to do anything new. But at the same time, we'll always treat Peter Parker like he's fucking 18 years old. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't want to make him, you know, be 18. Yeah. It's like, you know, they, the thing with DC wanting to be about history and doing reboots, it's like the problem with especially New, new 52 when that happened is that when these characters came back, it's like, we're starting fresh. It's about jumping on for new readers. And, you know, it's the smartest thing to do when you think about the big comic movie boom that happened at the time. It's like, mm-hmm. well, new readers are going to be coming in. We got to make it take feel fresh. That. Exactly. Yeah. The problem is when you do that, though, at least half to almost 75% of the characters are stereotypes. They're not characters. They're the instance of what someone would think the character would be and then run with it. And that's great for a starting point because it's like, if I was going to watch a a stupid sitcom TV show, when a character just walks in who's a supporting cast member, you get five seconds of them. Oh, I got maybe one personality trait. Mm -hmm. But if they had a a spinoff show, you have to develop that character. But the problem is a lot of those characters never got to develop. You have characters, like you said, from the uh, 2000s and 90s. And I'm not one to pick and choose and say any generation is better for comics or anything, but I do think, like you said, the 90s and 2000s are a great jumping on point for new fans because you not only got a lot of good solo series for characters that, you know, nowadays- Some team-up books were in the 2000s. Oh, 100%. Um, But you get so many good series working with characters, and I feel like the late 90s, early 2000s were the best time to define characters and make them feel real. Make Mm. them, give them personality and make them, you know- more than just that you didn't have any more dialogue blocks telling people what they were feeling or what's happening like the artists are describing that i don't need this yeah and you had artists were emoting that exactly and you didn't have to feel like all right you're telling me what to feel like i understand this is an old old way of writing but there's less dialogue like that more artists taking full advantage and just trying to really showcase their artwork and you could bang through 50 issues but get Mm -hmm. more of a character versus like read a book from 1982 you may have gotten 10 issues in with the same amount of time because there's so much dialogue blocks and you're mm-hmm. like i don't know much about them but i'm being told a lot about them right yeah I, the way that i kind of look at it I, I break it up into blocks in your your golden and silver age you're, you're kind of laying the foundations of these characters but especially in the golden age very little was put into the personality of the characters. Um, you you had traits, you had certain traits that they would kind of hone in on um, or give kind of a, they paint with a broad brush sometimes as well. Um, but then the further you go towards the uh, the 90s, 
you start getting a little bit more added and layered onto the characters. Then when you get to the 90s, that late late 80s and into the 90s is I feel when comics truly got exciting. Um, things start to actually pop. People already knew who these characters were. People knew things about them. Okay, Superman's fast, he can fly, yes. blah, 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 blah. Um, and you, you knew certain things about characters, people that weren't even necessarily superhero fans or into comic books, they could, you know, somebody could say, hey, what can Superman do? Uh, blah, 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 he's from Krypton, he can do this. Okay, cool. 90s is when stuff started to pop. The art got more exciting. Um, and that's part of why there was that huge comic book boom in the 90s, which wound up crashing eventually because there was overproduction, but that's the business end of it. Sorry, business education. There, there's certain oh, no, layers I, to the industry I, I know that, that I found very interesting. About. I mean, and, uh, you make a, a million copies of X-Men 1 trying to make it have a super high profit. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you still can get it for $3. Good job. So, supply and demand still applies. You have a zillion yeah. copies of this hanging around. Yeah. There's not much demand for it. So its value goes down. Sorry. It's not how that works. Um, unless it's like mint condition, you got an autograph on yeah. there or something. Uh, and then in the 2000s, Specifically between 2000 and I want to say 2010, 2011 even. That's when characters got a lot more personal, um, more broadly too, because there, there were certain books like in the 90s and even in the 80s that they had done that with some of the uh, Chris Claremont's work on the X-Men, you know, and a lot of stuff that had happened in Spider-Man and other books as well. Um, Neil Adams on Batman, all, a, a lot of the, the hallmark runs that you think about when you think about like top runs on certain characters, there was that. But once you got into the 2000s, that happened a lot more broadly. You, you saw that happen with a lot more characters because more characters seemed to start mattering. And so just as you said, characters started to feel a lot more human than they did before um, because they, they had more added onto their personality. Now, what I think worked with the 2000s, um, more kind of diving deep into characters and layering on things into the personalities, as opposed to what we see now, is they would still remain true to the cores of the characters, right? So you you have, you take a character like Peter Parker, for instance, and there are certain traits that he has always had and presumably always have. Um, you can put him in new situations, you can make him have to make adjustments on a case-by-case -case basis, but that character, who he is, has has been formed already. We know who Peter Parker is and we expect him to react in certain ways to specific situations. Some people would call that predictable. I call it good writing because he has to remain true to his convictions when put in a situation that would maybe challenge what those are. And he has to figure out a way to navigate that. That's called good writing um, to me. That's good character writing. And there's certain things throughout his life that have built him up to where he is. And when you remove those things or when you ignore those things, suddenly I'm seeing a character that looks like Peter Parker that has Peter Parker's name, but doesn't read like, right? Um, and that that's something where I believe a lot of comic books peaked in that early 2000s period. And that's maybe broadly speaking, but there was a lot more consistency there with regards to building upon the characters that we know and, and keeping them the characters that we know while doing new things with them. Those aren't mutually exclusive ideas. I'm a writer. You can, you can put characters in new situations. You can challenge them, but that doesn't mean you have to change who they are at their foundation. I would definitely agree. And I'm not going to sit on a high horse and say, you know, comics are better in my day or anything. I think there's some fantastic works going out, especially through, you know, a lot of indie publishers, but... Mm -hmm. 
I think DC and Marvel have great foundations for characters. They have some great writers on staff that are, when they get the time and effort to put into it, they can make some good work and make things interesting. James Tynion's Batman a hundred percent solid. His, um, his Detective Comics was great. Oh, it, it felt like the first time in 10 years I've seen Tim Drake. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to... Tim Drake's my boy, as far as the Robins yeah. go. I don't want to lambast anybody. And like, I wear the Nightwing shirt and Dick Grayson, 100% my favorite character, but the best character as Robin has always been Tim Drake because he lays the, 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 the dynamic of Batman and Robin in the foundation of what Robin means better mm -hmm. than anybody in his solo run. Yeah. In his solo run, not only is that great to read for teenagers growing up, no matter who you are, because it tackles so many different things about youth, class dynamic, especially, mm -hmm suicide the issue they talk about that i think 156 one of my favorite issues ever mm. but he as a character has gone through so much that you really understand why the like the role and mantle of robin is important and not just a sidekick it also lays why foundations of sidekicks are important in a world and dc can benefit from it mm. which is even more bizarre how like you know nowadays like the sidekicks aren't even attached to the characters anymore. Like, you know, no, they just immediately they'll introduce them and then they immediately shoot them off to the Teen Titans or something yeah, and, after and like, they've spent five minutes with their mentor. It's and, like, and that's like, not experience. It, yeah. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't have to be exclusive. Like, mm -hmm. God, <laughs> there's the whole creation of Tim Drake's character was Batman needs a Robin. It's like, that's, that's one so, of the reasons why he's so important. Yeah. And like you said, embodies the character of Robin and the role yeah. of Robin best because he sought out batman because he saw something wrong and he said batman doesn't have a robin batman needs a robin this is important to the not just gotham but to batman he, he that's actually integral to him being successful in his war against crime um and i i will always hold that he is one of two people that i accept as a replacement in the cowl and it's because oh, Batman himself has said someday he's going to be the oh. great, world's greatest detective, not me. I, I think it's so funny how there's so many heated debates on who should take up the cowl for Batman. And um, I'll say this much. Let the writers figure it out. You know, like yeah. you have a fit. You can make anybody Batman. It doesn't matter as long as you have a good writer and a good staff and a good story. The biggest problem with a lot of stories nowadays, you finish a story arc in 12 issues at max. And I mean at max. It's usually it, six. Yeah, yeah. But like, there's no foreshadowing. Things do not end up. Things, if you have some writers take over a book later on, it's like, I saw what you were doing and I might elaborate on that. But I mean, Chuck Dixon was on Robin for over a hundred issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have things that mattered on issue 20 come up in issue 86. And it's like, you don't have any longevity, which is the problem. Yeah. And that's that's six years of development. Mm -hmm. And to think about how you don't have that possibility anymore, it's astounding. I mean, what was it? Tom King's run on Batman was to issue 85. He he must be and like regarding quality of that, I know some people hate it or love it. I I am indifferent. His, his don't first care. arc or two um was was solid. I'll, I'll yeah. give him that. His first arc or two up through War of Jokes and Riddles was was solid. After that it went all downhill for yeah. me i didn't i didn't recognize the characters that were on the page yeah and i i totally understand that but that's the longest you've seen a writer hold a main character or a book in a long time oh yeah. and the only reason he had that is because his name was tom king yeah you know and i know some people can't stand his writing listen he's won an eisner award for being a good writer on some series and i think 
he falls into a lot of problems that are consistent with his work where he makes characters go through the same fallouts as other characters. There's no difference between um, Batman going through his fallout versus uh, Kyle Rayner and Omega Men, or especially the new Adam Strange book he's working on. A lot of these characters feel similar with what they go through. And I understand that. And I just wish that a lot of people would get the same chances that Tom King would and get long story arcs. Right, I think one of the issues with Tom King, that's an issue with a lot of current writers, they'll self-insert. Um, oh yeah. And, and he's, you know, got his own issues in his personal life, you know, and goodwill and God bless him to for going through what he's gone through. But that doesn't mean that you are capable of properly handling characters if you can't not self-insert all of your own issues into every character that you write. Because then I'm just seeing Tom King dressed as Batman or Tom King dressed as whoever N character. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't fly with me. I want I want to see the character. I pick up a Batman book. I want to read Batman. I don't want to read Tom King with the cowl on. And there are writers that can you know set aside their own stuff. You know that that's not to say that because every single writer will if they're a good writer they'll see a trait or a facet of a character and they'll identify with that particular facet more than others and they'll latch onto that maybe they'll hone into that and lean into that more when they write that character but the good writers will still write the character they just might focus a little bit more on one trait than another writer would I, and I would that's totally something agree. that tom king at least post i would say again war of jokes and riddles um started failing to do yeah and um you know i just wish i wish there was more longevity i wish that and like you say about a lot of writers like they'll put themselves into works and, and and like as you gave an example like that's not definitely a bad thing like there's no way if you are writing something of a character you have an attachment to or just a character that you're getting attached to because you're working on them some things about you are going to reflect onto you just like as an artist i know a lot of the times when you're drawing especially for characters that are the same gender as you a lot of the same you know physique or like maybe pronounced cheekbones or something they start to tend to look more like you mm -hmm. you know you take a hard look or what at you Alex. wish you looked like exactly like <laughs> like a the 10 out of 10 version of you no, yeah you you look at alex ross's artwork his superman looks like him with hair like i i'm sorry <laughs> it, it really yeah. does that's not a bad thing, you know, but a lot of people tend to put themselves into their work because not only is it easier, but it makes it more memorable and you get more emotion out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was drawing someone that looked like me, oh, it'd be so much easier to describe the emotion if I just painted my face on it. Yeah. You know, and a lot of writers do that same thing when they're really showcasing pain in their writing you know they make it something that's very close or personal to them that's why a lot of people in spider-man especially i feel like when they're working on like oh we're gonna possibly go through a death of aunt may for the 17th time it's so <laughs> and easy then walking them, back three years later yeah it's like <laughs> oh it's so easy because it's like dude i you know when my grandma when i remember that hurt i'm gonna make peter feel this seven times you know mm. It's easy for them because it's so relatable. Just like for a writer, it's so relatable to lo lose that certain person to you. But after a certain point, you know, it's almost like we've well, retread this quite a bit, you know? Yeah, I've seen this episode. I've read this one. Yeah. A few times already. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the reruns of this episode too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think that's a great jumping on point for saying, uh, talking about the 90s comics, you know, Tom King. I want to ask you, who's your favorite character? Who's your favorite superhero that got you involved in comics? 
in all of superherodom, that is going to be OG classic, uh, red-haired, green-eyed Wally West. I, there's so many things that I could say I latched onto that character on, uh, but it was by sheer happenstance because my dad and I don't have the uh, the physical bagged and bordered and, and nice boxed up uh, original issue that I had with me. That's actually in storage, um, but that would be from this storyline right here. Um, uh. <laughs> Terminal Velocity. So the I think it actually has a picture of the cover in here. Um, yeah, gosh, freaking Mike Raringo, man. This is, this is, ah, I freaking love that art. It's gorgeous. Would you um, say that's his favorite, uh, your favorite costume of him is the Wade run with the white and out eyes? Uh, it, you know, it goes back and forth between that and um, his current one. I really dig his current one. Really? Yeah. I it, didn't, it, I didn't like the one in between those, however, um, which makes me sad because. Oh, we're, the, we're like the, down to here. Yeah. Ethan Van Skyver is one of my favorite comic artists. He, and, and, uh, Flash Rebirth is also probably, if not definitely, the greatest Barry Allen story ever told. And Jeff Johns is just a god among men when it comes to writers. Um, so that's just a testimony to that. Um, but I really, really love that Waringo costume. Yeah, with the whited out eyes. I mean, that's what they used in the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoons yeah. I watched growing up. Um, but there's so many things I could latch onto <laughs> about that character. My, my dad grabbed me that comic in Man of Steel Zero post uh, zero hour crisis in time from a garage sale when I was, you know, I was three inches high practically, you know, I was just a little kid and I just latched onto the characters, but the Flash especially. Um, I was always growing up, no matter which state I was living in or which uh, town I was living in, I was always the fastest kid on the street. I was always the fastest kid on whatever soccer team I was playing on. And that carried over, you know, I was, I did varsity track and cross country. I was always a runner. I loved running. And so, oh, this character's superpowers, he runs really fast. Cool. I can, I'm about that. I can latch onto that really easily. But as I got older and as I read more Wally stories, I realized that there was far more there than just the, the surface level. Okay, cool. He can run really fast. No, he is, a lot of people will compare him to Peter Parker and that he's the everyman. Um, he's a lot more relatable than a lot of other characters out there because he has real emotions. He goes through real stuff, but at the same time, he's not this inaccessible character where it's hard to latch on to sometimes with some of these superheroes where it's like, okay, you went through this massive tragedy. Not to say that people don't go through tragic things in their lives. That's silly and untrue, but there are a lot of heroes. So it's like, I did this because, you know, my parents were murdered in an alley or, you know, I crash landed here from another planet or I'm a demigod. There are certainly things about all of those characters that you can latch onto, but when your baseline is just strict humanity and human emotion and just human things, he, he started as a fan. He was the president of the Flash fan club, you know, and only member of it in his town. And then he got to be his hero, right? And, and that's something that I think we can all latch onto. You, when we're growing up, we all have some sort of a dream, some sort of a, an idol that we we try and latch onto, we try and chase that. And he got to actually do that. He got to actually live that. And he, as opposed to a lot of other heroes that have this immense weight of the world responsibility on their shoulders or some other thing that compels them to do what they do, he's doing this because he legitimately loves it. And that's one of the things I appreciate about his character so much. I think, because um, as we we're saying, we've talked before, you will never get 
as in-depth of a look as how powerful a character a character can be written as a legacy character. Mm. You have so much to go with with just characters living up to expectations, creating their own expectations, and being a fairly, if not marginally, different character. Yeah. And that is why I love Wally West. Hands down, one of the most interesting reads you can get because the character is so varied from... If you read Mark Wade's uh, Wally West... It's very different than, you know, when he's a background or supporting character in New Teen Titans. Yeah. Or just even how he's written nowadays. Like, he's gone through so much where it feels different. I remember um, I was going through the Flash series not too long ago, and I started off the, the series in 87 where he starts getting a solo, and like, oh, man, he feels so marginally different. Born to Run? That one? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, um, oh, it's, it's a Baron. It oh, yeah, yeah, Mike Barron. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Before um, Wade took over into the uh, the reboot of, yeah. uh, or rather retelling of his origin, which I found worked much better, I think, yeah. than Wade. Wade's original run on Wally, um, not when he came back post uh, Jeff Johns, because that run was not very good, but his original run was incredible. Yeah, I, I read I the whole thing agree. like three times through. <laughs> yeah, because. There's just something about a legacy character. When you read it when you're growing up, it's so easy to latch onto because no matter who you are as a kid, you are in the shadow of someone or you look up mm -hmm. to someone, regardless of who it is. It could be someone you don't know. It could be someone that's very close to you. It could just be an idea. Mm -hmm. So to try to get over that, you see characters that have dealt with that their entire lives since they've been created. It's like, wow, I feel that. I know what it's like to be that. And they've gone through so many stories where they not only get past the shadow, but they start casting their own shadow. And yeah. you start thinking, that's so cool. Well, that's, that's one why of the best things about the uh, the original Teen Titans members, because a lot of them did that. You know, one of the reasons why I make the argument that Dick Grayson should never be Batman is because he's so phenomenal as Nightwing. He It would actually go against his character to become Batman because he left because no, I need to set out on my own. I'm gonna do my own thing. I need to be my own person. It was very much about an individuality thing and setting himself apart. Um, and Nightwing is without question, one of the most beloved characters in the DC universe. And for good reason, he's damned cool. And so, you know, he, he as you said, he casts his own shadow. Um, I think he does best when he's either part of the Titans, so specifically the original OG crew, you know, Wally, Roy, um, or uh, not Oracle, um, why am I blanking Donna, right now? Um, Donna Garth. Dinah, or yeah, um, Donna, uh, Garth, why? It, that's that's the me. original five. It'll, yeah, yeah, it, the, yeah then, those were the original originals for yeah. sure. Um, but when he's with that crew, or when he's on his own, doing his solo thing, doing his thing, being as one of the arcs was even called, better than Batman, right? Oh, I, I, I don't wanna get, <laughs> I liked Grayson a lot. I could not get into the Rebirth run for a lot of Nightwing. And the whole Better Than Batman arc, that infuriated me. Because, <laughs> like, my biggest thing is, like, I know a lot of people that are Nightwing fans that like Nightwing to be very much separate from Batman. And, like, mm -hmm. I understand that. And it's, like, when he was Batman for a while, for 2009 especially, onwards, mm -hmm. the point of him was not to be Bruce Wayne's Batman or to be Batman in like there's an issue where Alfred talks about it him playing a role him mm. being a savior of Gotham it's like taking on another Shakespeare play and he has to do his best at it yeah because he may want to be an individual 
But the reason I like him more is not just because his individuality, but because he's such a great person. People talk about how Superman is the, the hope of the DC universe. And it's like, Nightwing has always been talked about as being the lifeline. He's the interconnected dot that talks to everyone and makes them feel like they have a support system. They have a support mm -hmm. unit. And what I liked about that run is that it showcases he will be Batman, not because he wants to be Batman, but because he knows that Gotham needs his support. Yeah. Damian Wayne, at that point, not a fleshed out character, needs his support to become what Robin should be. Tim Drake needs to be pushed in the right direction. And he had a great time as Robin, who looked at Dick like an older brother, but he knew that he would never grow up unless he said, you have to do your own thing, becomes Red Robin, yeah. takes the next step into being his own individual persona. Mm -hmm. And that's why that run pushed Gotham into a huge step forward and I thought that was perfect for it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, you know, Dick Grayson should be part of Batman. He'll never be an A-list hero. He'll never be that. Listen, this is a business. <laughs> if you disassociate <laughs> Nightwing from Batman, he's not going to have a solo for another year. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. It's not longer. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love the character. I'm also not stupid. <laughs> yeah. The no, he's part of the Bat family for a reason. Yeah. He, you can't, you also can't disassociate the first Robin with everything, you know? Yeah. He's the second... Oh, the third oldest character in DC Comics that's consistently getting stories. Mm -hmm. If you just take him up out of that universe, you lose a lot. I'm not mm -hmm. saying make him super into the Bat universe, but he has to be there. If he's just not there to be Bruce's support, it's like, that's like your son just doesn't come visit you when like he has no free time. You yeah. can't just, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for, and that's the thing, like legacy characters should feel like their own characters but there's a reason they're a legacy character. Like, I don't want to see Wally West in a, a Barry Allen Flash comic where he's just like, hey, how's it going? Speeds in, does a few things and leaves. Or just, I also don't want to see him not involved. He's not only Barry's like best friend, but you'll see in most of the books, he treats Barry like a father. They yeah. say over and over again how like, oh, you know, like he doesn't have a good family dynamic with his mom and father. So... That's why, that's why Barry was his father. It doesn't make sense for him to just not be there or for him mm -hmm. not to want to be there with Barry or talk. The biggest problem with these legacy characters, it's like, we don't want them to have the mantle because that's not good for sales because we want to push the classics for whatever reason. And at the same time, well, what do we do with them? Well, we could kind of have them somewhat connected, somewhat connected. <laughs> they love these characters. If you look up on the DC Wikia page, Garth isn't even part of the Aquaman family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's most associated with Titans. Yeah. And like, I think it's important, but like, you shouldn't have characters like the Justice League where they build their own communities and then not have these legacy characters matter. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they should do their own things, but it should feel intertwined. Like it is, it's history. You can't get rid of history. You also don't want to segregate history because guess what? Segregation's usually bad. <laughs> Doesn't usually work out for everybody. Yeah. So it's just weird. I, I don't know why they're so consistent on breaking things away or just taking pieces of what, what's important. It's like they don't know how to multitask, especially with certain characters, which I find funny because, and I'll use the Flash family as an, an example for this perfect example, because you can line up all three Flashes. I'm not counting Bart. I was um, going to say, I, was like, well, <laughs> I, I know he was technical. the flash for about five <laughs> minutes. Uh, it wasn't good. Most people didn't like it. Um, 
Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, and Wally West all side by side. Those are three, even though they all have speed-based powers, three immensely different characters, immensely different men, each with their own unique personalities, and they approach things differently from one another. You can have all three of those characters existing in the same space simultaneously. Um, I know Infinite Frontier's kind of doing that because um, they're kind of bringing back Justice Society. Barry is going to be going off and exploring the Omniverse and doing that whole whole shtick. Um, like, okay, I mean, I'm I'm happy to have Wally be the the main Flash again. Don't get me wrong, but you could you could do both. Like, I if it yes. was up to me, you'd have a Flash book where Barry is the main, and you know his support system. He has Wallace and Avery, um, which they they had been uh, Joshua Williamson had been doing that for the last few arcs. And then you have Wally, you have him with his own book and you've got the Flash family because the Flash family was really a Wally thing. Avon Don even, Don even says that like just a couple of arcs ago or no, like one arc ago, actually it was the most recent one, the final one that Williamson did. And you have, you know, Max Mercury, you have um, Jesse Quick, uh, you have Bart, Impulse. Uh, his, his kids too especially yeah and his kids exactly now that they're a thing again which is fine i'm good with that but um that that goes back to that whole picking and choosing the continuity thing but you can you can have both existing at the same time and have each of them have their own books that people can hone in on maybe some people are more of a berry guy you know so they're gonna they're gonna focus more on on that book other people like myself grew up through the late 80s and the 90s watched the justice league wally is my guy right? He's my Flash. And so that's, you know, where some people will focus and dial in more on. You can still have Jay Garrick too, because Jay Garrick, even in the 2000s, you know, he was a mentor figure and a damn good one. You know, he helped mentor Bart. Barry wasn't around. It's his grandson. I, <laughs> I, I think people really underestimate how great characters can be as mentors and how they don't have to be super involved as heroes like mm -hmm. you know being a green lantern fan love the green lantern universe i have been so sick and tired to death about john stewart being in everything as the main lantern not because i don't like the character lately. and it's not like i don't like the character during kyle rayner's run when he was the mentor of kyle rayner fantastic mm -hmm. best character work it's almost like people forget you don't have to be a superhero to be a good person yeah like, and ever since he's been getting these roles as the main uh the main lantern or the big focus on the book it's like you just have wilded him down to being the sergeant you know mm -hmm. cold-blooded just thinking about the core you know they've turned the entire green lantern series into just marines at this point and, and stewart was always uh militant isn't the word that i'm looking for but he was he was definitely more hard-blooded the rest hot-blooded yeah and, i mean and that's what he's great. one of two people has told batman to go screw himself to his face yeah and, <laughs> and that's why he was likable when you first introduce the character on um hard traveling heroes it's like you know he's he's one to to talk his voice to speak his mind and it's like that's great especially when the whole introduction of the book is talking about how like you know what have they done for african americans and there's a guy who's gonna say like i'm gonna speak up for whatever i think is right and that's great but they've turned that like hot-blooded like go-getting i'm seeking right attitude into being like do it for the core you know do it for the military it's like he was He's part of the heart 100 and he was so centered around having that heart mm -hmm. you can't be a good mentor unless you're thinking with your heart everything in the leaders. 90s everything in the 90s he's done with with like dark stars and 
you know, being crippled, you know, to learning to be the Green Lantern again. None of that had to do with being part of the military. All it had to do was caring about everyone else and thinking about the right decision. The whole thing with when, what, Zanshi gets blown up, that's when he starts using his heart even more often and realizing the grief he struck. Yeah. And now it's just like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, I'm in charge here. It's like, come on, man. And I, I really like um, uh, Scott Snyder's work in, in many cases. I really like most of his run on Justice League in the recent era. But <clears throat> one thing that always bothered me was the whole adding in the the ultraviolet. Um, and, and in and of itself, the, the ultraviolet idea is a cool concept, but it's almost like they used it as an excuse to make John less human than he was already kind of moving towards. Just so you said he'd lost his heart. He didn't feel like the relatable, strong-willed human character that we had had up until that point. And that's frustrating because John, John's my second favorite Green Lantern. I'm, I'm a Hal guy, I'm a Hal Jordan guy, always have been, always will be. But Stuart was like my second favorite character in general on Justice League, loved the guy. And so to see his character be so far afield from what it once was, from what I know the character to be, right? That goes back to having the key tent poles and the keystones of uh, of these characters and adhering to that whilst putting them in new situations that are, feel new and refreshing and exciting. Um, that, that was lost with Stuart, which is frustrating. Very, very much. You know, I love all the Green Lanterns. I think they're all interesting. There's not one I really dislike. There's some I haven't read enough about. I'm not going to sit on a high horse and say I've read everything with like Simon Baz or anything. I think introducing new Earth Lanterns is important, mm -hmm. but at the same time, uh, like you say, he's lost his relatability, which is important, but the big thing about all the Earth Lanterns is they're supposed to be relatable. Yeah. One of the books that came out in Rebirth hit was Hal and the Green Lantern Corps, and I know people loved it, and they, they were super over with it. It's so infuriating because some things in the book are so good, mm -hmm. and some things are just terrible. Like, John in it is just so rough to listen to guy is fantastic in the book guy is a hundred percent everything guy garner is supposed to be to a tenth degree like he's mm. on max level yeah and kyle is unbearable in the book <laughs> you know you had someone you who say was, that with such disappointment you you're a kyle guy aren't you i love kyle i <laughs> i can tell i can hear about, the disappointment in your and everything in the 90s when they talk about legacy characters you had a character who was created out of nowhere and i really the thing i love about joff johns is some people hate that parallax has become the fear entity because it minimizes his death in um like during zero hour for mm -hmm. hal jordan i can understand that but there's a lot of problems i have with hal jordan in that book because if you're a big hal jordan fan you really shouldn't have to minimize him to make kyle rayner the next one yeah but at the same time if you read that book consistently they show Hal really does care and want to make the right decision all the time mm -hmm. but there's just something going on in the background so yeah. I don't mind that retcon. I'm fine I think, with it. I think Green Lantern Rebirth is one of the greatest DC stories ever told. I love the Rebirth titles for Green Lantern and Flash. It's funny you talked about the Flash family. Like if you look at the Flash Rebirth panel, and they, when they bring Barry back, they have the huge Flash page. Yeah. Barry doesn't know nine tenths of them. Those nope. are all nope. all these <laughs> characters. You know. Yeah. yeah. You said Max Mercury. You know Bart. Uh, Jesse Quick, these are all relegated to Wally. And even at the time uh, during Green Lantern Rebirth, when they have the, the Earth Lanterns come back, it's like, Hal knows them, but at the center at this point, most of them are f like not just friends, but close to Kyle. 
Mm-hmm. And like the biggest problem with when these books came out, they were great individual books. The problem is afterwards when they're trying to develop the stories, the current hero takes a backseat for the new one coming back, the Silver Age classic. Yeah. I think Hal Jordan has thrived since his Rebirth book because it's so easy to make someone hot-headed be developed, whereas Barry Allen has struggled so heavily with maintaining what it means to be Barry Allen, but at the same time, them throwing little flecks of what Wally was, why he was the Flash and why he was good and putting that into his characteristics. That's mm. definitely transferred over into live action media, but even in the comics, it's like, why are we giving this to Barry? And yeah. I feel like that's the biggest thing. With Green Lantern, you had the main book and you had Green Lantern Corps. I don't care if Kyle's not the main Green Lantern because Green Lantern Corps is great. Mm-hmm. When Flash took over, you had just the Flash. Yeah, Wally just disappeared. Into... He wasn't even in Titans at that point. Yeah. Titans, he would show up once in a while, but that book also wasn't that great at that point. <laughs> Dan DiDio hated Wally West. And he oh, hated yes. Dick Grayson. And he always had it out for the Kyle Rayner too. He hated all three of them. He wanted them gone. Because he hates legacy characters in general. The, the biggest thing they... is he hates making the classic characters feel old. Because he feels it lessens the value or it makes them feel like they're not in their prime anymore. Which is foolish. You can, you can have two things be true at once. You can have characters age... You can just mature them, but you don't have to all of a sudden make Barry Allen look like Jake Garrick and, no. and be old and ineffectual. And, you know, not to say that Garrick is weak or anything, but you know what I mean. You can, just as I was saying before, you can do multiple flashbooks. They did it with Green Lantern. Yeah. You had, you had Green Lanterns, right? Which was um, Simon Baz and uh, J- Jessica Cruz. Yeah. Um, which I admittedly only read a handful of issues of that. Um, Because, like I said, I'm a Hal guy. Like, if if Hal has a Green Lantern book, that's the book that I'm reading because he's the most interesting character for me personally. Um, I latch on to him the most. John would be just behind him, you know. And then you had Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps, and you had both of those books going on at the same time. You had John working with the Justice League, right? You had all these characters still existing in the same space, but just doing separate things. You you still gave them proper focus. You gave them proper honor and I, I don't see why that was so difficult for someone like Dan DiDio to understand um, because the books sold well obviously some books are going to sell better than others because more people are familiar with X character but it might not always be that way when Wally first took over the mantle of the Flash Baron's run nobody freaking liked it it's, it's and not it's hard not to necessarily, think why. Yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> a, a, a knock against Baron's work. They didn't have much to work with yet for Wally as a character. He wasn't defined yet. All of his development had been done as a teenager, as a kid. And that's not to say that you can't write that very well and develop them very well. They, they had laid foundations there, but nobody had really explored where those foundations would lead him as a character, right? And that um, that's one thing I will absolutely always praise Mark Wade for was how he managed to flesh out Wally and make him not just tolerable, but lovable. 100%. People loved his character. People that are Wally fans, they're freaking Wally fans. So when you all of a sudden bring Barry back, which I love Barry. Barry's freaking fantastic. He's a classic character. I, there's a reason why when people say, who's the Flash? most people are going to say Barry Allen. He's the most Nowadays, iconic. Yes. Yeah. He's the most, it, but this that's even before um, the Flash TV show. 
You know, they oh. if you had asked a lot of comic book fans, most would automatically go to Barry Allen. Maybe they were more familiar with Wally. And this is coming from I'm a I'm a Wally fanatic, okay. Um, but they'll recognize Barry as like he's the icon, right? Jay Garrick was cool as the Flash. Barry is where the whole Flash legacy truly popped off. And so that's why he's kind of, he was the perfect choice for the TV show to go with a Barry Flash storyline, even though they just constantly use Wally villains. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. The beginning, um, <laughs> the entire beginning of the series yeah. is just Wally's run. And Baron too, especially, which is weird. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I, I think, you know, like, there's no Barry Slander over here. Don't get me wrong. There's no Flash character, especially with the mantle of Flash, that I dislike. Even Bart when he was the Flash. I don't like Bart as the Flash, but I love the character of Bart Allen. You know, Bart grew on me. He, like, he grew on me. Like, once he took up the mantle of Kid Flash when oh, Jeff John... 100%. Such a darn good story. Yeah. So freaking good. I, I, um, I will say John's run on Teen Titans has ups and downs, but when that book started off and making him Kid Flash, going through the things he did, easy way to make him really sympathetic and also just feel like you want to jump into the character. Mm -hmm. I thought Bart was fantastic. You know, that was my introduction to the character at first was the 2003 series. I'm like, oh, I can't see why people wouldn't like it. You get into some <laughs> of the books for Young Justice, you're like, I, I'm getting it. I'm yeah. starting to get it. He's, so. he's a little snot. Yeah. <laughs> he's obnoxious as hell. Even even during uh, Wade's run on uh, on The Flash with Wally, it's like, man, it's really hard to like this kid. He's a brat. Yeah. <laughs> but you, well, it, it's explained why. And John's wound up developing his character in a, a, a very natural, a genuine way that, um, in, in a, an organic way that made you like the character and find something to latch on to the character. Like at his core, he wanted to live up to these, these giants that he was among, right? You know, even, and at the time, and I believe he was um, living with the Garricks. Yes. Uh, so, you know, he was, he had these great mentor figures around him, but he also, you know, he sees Wally. It's like, Wally's the Flash. I, I, I got to get to that. You know, I want these people to believe in me and they, John's really did a great job of latching on to that bit and developing him and maturing him. He he was still a little bit of a brat here and there, but that's important. There are certain aspects to his personality that I think will always be there. And that's because of how he was how he was born. That's how he was yeah. raised. That, that was that was nature and nurture. It was a combination of the two. You know, he grew up in Vidsims. You know, he he didn't get the chance to mature at a proper rate because he was maturing at a highly accelerated rate due to the speed force. So um, John's made a, made a great attempt, and I think a very successful attempt at making Bart a very relatable and very likable character. And I, he is, just as I see Tim Drake as Robin, when I think Robin, I think Tim Drake, but anybody else. Because when I hear Dick Grayson, I think Nightwing. Even though he was the first Robin, I recognize him more as Nightwing. When I think Kid Flash, even though Wally was the first Kid Flash, and Wally's my favorite character in comics, when I think Kid Flash, I think Bart. Um, and he's one of few characters where I can go back and forth with him on his role. Like, love him as Kid Flash with Jeff Johns' run on Teen Titans. I also love him as Impulse. Yeah. Because that, that's kind of his own identity that he's got going there. And I, I get why they didn't have him come back as Kid Flash when they brought him back in, because Wallace was filling that role. Well, <laughs> but Impulse is a great character. It's weird because they technically tried to bring him back as Kid Flash mm -hmm. with the New 52 series. 
right well that was but it wasn't bart allen yeah it was bartor new 52 and and this wow this is jumping back like several minutes ago but when we were talking about the reboots and we were talking about new 52 um i think new 52 as a concept as an idea was actually a really great idea right the idea was this was when comic book movies were starting to boom this was all starting to pop off in in a way that they hadn't before because we had had the x-men films we had had the spider-man films but now we're getting a lot more. Yeah, we're getting consistency. We're getting things that are far more visually impressive, immersive. So it was reasonable for them to say, hey, we should probably try and sell more comics as a result of this, right? That, that's business, that's intelligent. But they sacrificed too much. At, at the cost of, or the, with the desire and a reasonable one at that, of wanting to bring in new readers, have a jumping off point, you erased so much history so much history and so many characters. I, when New 52 first happened, I read some comics and when I realized they don't fucking have Wally here. <laughs> where, oh, that was where's tough. Wally? That was a tough year and a half. <laughs> where is Wally yeah. West? And then they they were like, hey, here's Wally. I'm like, that's not, it's not Wally. It's really not Wally. I'm sorry. And I, I got out of comics because of that, because Wally wasn't around. The character that got me into superheroes, the character that got me into comic books was no longer there. And I said, okay, I'm I'm done for now. And then Rebirth happened and I jumped on immediately because the first promotional thing that I saw was some teaser art for the one shot, the Rebirth one shot. And I was like, all right, bust out the wallet. I'm coming back. And then I went back and I read a lot of the new 52 stuff that I had missed initially so i went back and i read and i have i have all of them digitally and i have all the hard covers of the entire flash run on new two that's a good it is it's actually one of the few really consistently good books there are a couple of eh, storylines in there but it was one of the few very consistently good books in new 52 and i have a strong appreciation for it knowing that all right wally was coming back eventually um and then obviously scott snyder's batman is, is the book that everybody holds up um from New 52 as being, you know, like the best book of that era. I would I would make an argument that uh, John's um, Aquaman was also incredible. It, I, he, I would argue, he made Aquaman like cool. <laughs> I would argue as a character, like as a, a work in fiction, Aquaman is more important than Batman at that time. Yeah. It did way more. It leveled the character to making it feel like he's not only part of the Justice League, he's now one of the most valued members. Yeah. And I'll say the new 52, a lot of people give it flack and I don't care what anyone says it is mismanaged because they were not expecting the big movie boom because they weren't, nobody Mm -hmm. was prepared for it. They did rush scheduling. They did rush planning out. We have to do this. We have to do that. That's why a lot of people were asking, where is my favorite character? When you're saying, where is Wally West? Not only was he not there, they did not answer that question for a solid year and a half to two years. And when they answered it, they did it with a different character. Mm-hmm. And then they had to backtrack because of backlash, because it's not that we don't want that new character, but like, why would you name him Wally West? Who are you helping with this? No one. You know, it, it's just hurting. It's hurting the writer because I don't think he's the way he wants to introduce that character. It's hurting the entire team there because it's putting a knife in your book when it's already going well. Why would you harm it? And then it's just making fans feel like, well, I'm never going to be happy with what I'm getting right now. I can't continue with this. Like you said, like you stopped reading. 
Like, you know, the past two years hasn't been easy as a Nightwing fan. He hasn't even been Nightwing. I mean, yeah. I, I buy the book, but <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm really getting anything out of it. Um, mm-hmm. People are looking at these characters and it's like, it's going to be in June where the first introduction of Connor Hawk since 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, that's over 10 years the character's been gone. Yeah. And a lot of people are just wondering, when are my characters coming back? When are they coming back? If you're a Batman fan and they're and you're like the Bat universe, you're lucky. The only yeah, you're lucky because James Tiny in the fourth is actually a really freaking great yeah, writer. Not, not just that, but when New 52 happened, the only two universes not affected at the time were Batman and Green Lantern. And Green Lantern. Because John's on Green Lantern. He's like, I don't have to change anything. Green <laughs> Lantern comes back. There's three series. You get New Guardians, you get Green Lantern Corps, and you get Green Lantern. It's like... Mm-hmm. Well, if you like Green Lantern, you don't have even to the Sinestro Corps was actually pretty good too. Yeah, like everything <laughs> the Green Lanterns were doing, God, they're having crossover events every five months. It's yeah. like oh, I just got out of this one. No, no, this one's good. This one's good. Oh, I don't got enough money for these books, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> like come on, man. Yeah, Dude, I look like I'm made of money. Yeah, and then you're but like, the book oh, was good. Okay, I guess I'm good. Oh, we're doing Red Lanterns now. No, Red, no, man, come on. Like, <laughs> got Gardner's got a freaking mustache. Like, it's weird, but those universes had no effect. Aquaman, not much of an effect because it took off of Brightest Day. They just brought him back. It's like, yeah. uh, we could kind of do a fresh reboot. No one's going to be mad. Yeah. I know people that to this day are still super sore about Zatanna's change for a character. Mm. they've radically changed her entire origin is different um god john constantine's in like what three books a month now he's in everything it's, it's not necessary like the, yeah. the the tv show was not nearly popular enough to justify him being in three books right now and it's not to say that I don't like constantine i actually like constantine but oh yeah i don't like him enough three books <laughs> well he had his necessary. own ongoing in the was in justice league dark justice league dark his ongoing got canceled. He got another one. And then it was just so much consistency with that character. And it's like, he's a great character. But I think when Vertigo was going on, initially, they didn't have a separation from the DC universe. It's like, oh, these characters can interact. I know. I remember seeing Batman in the issue of Sandman. It's like, oh, it's cool. It's in the same universe. But they very distinctly changed it. So it's like, make these characters not mention the DC universe. You're going to ask too many questions. Yeah. And when Brightest Day happened, they brought Constantine in. That was the big clincher at the end of the... It's like, oh, Constantine's here. And I remember that being like, that is interesting, but what does that really matter? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> why do I need Constantine in here? And that's a question I've been acting asking consistently. <clears throat> well, you don't so really. We got Satana. Yeah, and it's like, it's not like he's a bad character, but you read Justice League Dark, you read his ongoings, it's the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. He's He knows magic. The superheroes know he's a good weasel. He does what he wants and he gets his way, but he fucks somebody over. And they're like, oh, well, fuck you, Constantine. He's like, it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Every yeah. single time with him, every he's single storyline. He's very story cartoony line. in that respect. You're yeah. absolutely 100% correct. And it's not like he's bad or it's like, it's predictable because it has to be. That's his character. Hmm. But at the same time, I don't gotta see that that often. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't need to see it in three books. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just weird. And it's weird they put such quality writing on books that, that have characters like that on it. Or like, I think Lemire was writing Dark and Lemire's fantastic. I can't name a book he's done that I've been personally let down by. Mm-hmm. And then they have like 
Teen Titans has been a main selling series ever since, you know, it got really the big boom of Wolfman and Perez. There's mm-hmm. the five that yeah, everyone new, talks about. New Teen Titans was, that's, that's where that popped yeah. off for sure. Everyone likes to talk about how the original five mattered because of history. It has to matter in the DC universe, but mm-hmm. that Teen Titans book never sold and never did that fantastic. You had great work on it and great writing once in a while, but it wasn't consistent. Wolfman and Perez came on board. Consistency. Key. Mm-hmm. Those characters are real now. These problems, they're personal. Characters like, you know, Wally wasn't even in the book that often, but mm-hmm. you remember him being in the book. Yeah. That's how much it That's shows. because when he was him. there, he mattered. Exactly. They made, and they made characters matter. And that was one important. thing. That was one thing that I just, I loved so much about the entire idea of the DC Rebirth universe and, and the event that led up to it, the, um, well, there was Titans by Dan Abnett once Rebirth happened. And then oh, leading Titans up Hunt. to that Titans Hunt, Hunt. Yeah. the Titans finding each other, they, they didn't know each other from Adam at that point because New 52 and continuity and all that bullshit. Um, but then recognizing that something was missing, right? What is missing? And you just touched on something that makes that very clear. When Wally was in the new Teen Titans book, you remember it because he was the heart of that team, I would argue. And Titans Hunt and Titans after Rebirth happened is exemplary of that. Like they recognize that. And I've I've always loved that dynamic that the the Titans had, which is its family. This is more so than any of the other teams out there in the DC universe or even in the Marvel universe. The Titans are a very tight-knit family. There's a reason why once it made me so mad when when they got rid of Wally off of the Titans because heroes and I'm going to flip my desk Um, and when they got rid of Dick off of Titans. Why why the fuck am I here? Why am I reading this book? Oh yeah. And then an arc and a half later, well, this book's getting canceled. I wonder why. You move two fan favorite characters off of that and you bring in Miss Martian and uh, and well, not Steel, but like the female version yeah, of Steel. Yeah, essentially, yeah. I can't remember her Natasha, name. Natasha. I don't remember her superhero name, but it's like Natasha Irons. Yeah, and I'm like, you you just removed the Flash and Nightwing for these two clowns. Yeah, and, and so the Titans book is super interesting because I love the Titans as a character and, and the family. Every time they bring them together, they always say, we're family. You know, they had the the one shot for Metal, Tales of the Multiverse. Mm-hmm. And it says, we're better than Justice because we're all family. And it's like, oh, yeah, really feel good, touchy moment. They say it every time. But the Titans book, the wild thing, it's so radically inconsistent. The first book came out in 99, I believe. Mm-hmm. That is a perfect example of how to do the book. You have the five original members saying, we want to make a new team but it has to feel like we're doing something. We're not just doing it because we're bored. It's got to matter. Yeah. We each have to pick an individual member. We want to be on the squad. Genius idea. Yep. Because you're already sent- setting up five mentor figures and five protégés. Yep. And it's a better way of doing it in Teen Titans because in Teen Titans, there has to be mentor figures, but to have five established ones and five younger ones that don't have to be teenagers, they could mm-hmm. be anybody but they still have to be unexperienced. It's a great way to introduce people to new characters mm-hmm. and have them fall in love. Yeah. Characters like Hawk and Dove. Yeah. And like, <clears throat> I thought that book was fantastic. After 
I think halfway down the line, the writers changed, editorial relief kicked in, the book started to flop, whatever. They did the 2008-2007 series. Same thing. They took almost the the, uh, new Teen Titans team with addition of um, Roy Harper, I'm pretty sure is the only additional at the moment. And it's like, that's a great dynamic, but it has to mix in with everything else going on. Nightwing becomes Batman out of the book. Um, big hit on the book because it wasn't wasn't kicking off stands and it was a fresh book and it's like he's already gone and we're only on like issue 10 right now mm-hmm. what are we going to do you have these great one shot issues where each issue focuses on the character solely on that character if you didn't like them before that issue you're probably going to like them mm-hmm. but we got to tie it in the blackest night after that okay yep. Tempest is dead damn it <laughs> we didn't even have him yeah. in here but you know, that's another main Titan dead. Okay, cool. Brightest Day is happening. Roy does heroin again. Oh my God, what are we going to do? The Titans disband. It becomes a total shift of book. It's like mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing is the same. The book just drowns. The biggest problem with the Titans book, same with Rebirth. It, by the middle of the series, it drowns again. Something happens. Shifts change. Because these legacy characters keep getting pulled into their main families and then they get taken out where it changes the entire dynamic. 2016 Rebirth. Nightwing shot in the head because fucking why not, apparently. Ruins the Nightwing book. Because Dan DiDio. <laughs> yeah, ruins the Nightwing book. Titans now, huge character gets taken out of it. Heroes in Crisis happens. Butchers Wally as a character. Cannot come back from it. Give the six-issue miniseries to Lobdell, thanks. And then what do we have? Well, we're going to have to focus on Roy Harper being an alcoholic. First of all, you don't have to focus on that. Two, it's bad enough you made him an alcoholic. Three, what does this do for anything? You have the only characters in the book that matter right now is Donna, because she's not connected to Wonder Woman for some reason in this world. Mm. Tempest has zero to no connection with Aquaman in the book. Since Rebirth happened, he was in two issues out of like 60. Yeah. And that's it. And they bring in characters like Miss Martian, which... If you had the same continuity as the original post-Earth or, or New Earth, mm-hmm. it'd be fine because she was a Titan, bringing Titans. Okay, cool. Kind of kind of nifty. You don't. The character hasn't shown up in yeah. God knows how long. It's weird. Kyle Rayner, who, yeah, he's been in Titans. It would make sense, but you don't really elaborate on it. And is that even still canon? Probably not because I'm pretty sure he doesn't know Donna when yeah. the book goes on. And that's inconsistent. So all, and I think Beast Boy is like mutated at this point. The book yeah. is just jumbled. They have nothing they know what to do with. Big problem is Cyborg's a main Justice League member and he creates it. That event will always ruin the possibility with Titans. You can't make him a Titan anymore. Yeah, do no, I don't, I don't like Cyborg on Justice League at all. I think he's at his best when he's either working with the Titans or when he's mentoring the Teen Titans. That was one of the things... Uh, one of many things that I loved about Jeff Johns' run on the Teen Titans back in the early aughts, which was utilizing characters like Cyborg, utilizing characters like Starfire as mentor figures working within the Teen Titans. Um, I think that just worked really well and it works well for Vic. I don't really care for his dynamic in the Justice League. It just doesn't fit for me. Um, some people some people like it, but it it doesn't do it for me. And most of my friends that I've talked about this with, they're like, yeah, I, I love Vic, I love Cyborg, but 
I like him with the Teen Titans or with the Titans. Why is he in the Justice League? There's there's nothing for him to latch onto because he doesn't not, have a connection to these other they're, characters. They're not, and they don't build a connection because yeah. they can't. There's no history to build to versus mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, if he wasn't a founding member, but he was on the Justice League, you could still say like, oh, he calls up Gar on the phone once in a while or something. Mm-hmm. Fine. But making him a main member ruins all of the history he has, makes him a completely blank slate. But the other Justice League members, they don't have blank slates. They still have history. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. So it only harms him. And it's like, if you want him on the Justice League because he's a great character, I won't disagree. If you want to make him a founding member, I will because you have to get rid of so much to get to that point. Yeah. And he he hasn't ever since then he struggled and he's not he's not gonna be able to fix that i've never liked him on on the justice league it's it's just never worked for me i you know they did the live action uh not live action the um the adaptation movies like justice league war or whatever where they yeah they try to make him have a friendship with shazam because they know in the comics he doesn't have any friends yeah (laughs) he he doesn't talk to anybody it's like okay there's a perfect example like even when you're adapting a material, almost all of it is one for one except cyborg. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. I guess to get back on track though with um the questions is you say Wally is your favorite hero. What's one word you would use to describe Wally West? Well, pre-heroes in crisis, I would say hopeful or optimistic. And considering I am going to forget that heroes in crisis ever happened, I'm going to stick with that. It's okay. They will do it in a year. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. They will. Thank God. Um, God, that book was such trash, which makes me mad because Clay Mann's artwork is God tier. It's funny. Yeah. I remember when the book was coming out and I was always quick to defend. It's a mystery. We have to just see how it plays out. People would would dissect it issue on issue. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not good, but like it's a mystery. Maybe at the end they'll, they'll try to fix it up or make it intertwined. But just like Identity Crisis, you just shouldn't have read the book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, identity crisis. Oof. Yeah, that's. DC just yeah. shouldn't do mysteries. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not good. for crossovers at least. You yeah. Know? If you want to do mysteries, keep it to Detective Comics. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 hone in on that aspect of, of Bruce's character. But yeah, I I would say hopeful or optimistic, um, or e- even like I said earlier, relatable. He's yeah. he's the everyman. He he is a true blue human character. As far as like who he is, how he is, how he acts, how he interacts with other people, his relationships, you can pick out any number of things. That's a facet of his character, and you can find a way to latch onto that without that much effort, um, because he's just a relatable figure, and that's something that I very much appreciate in a, in a universe that's filled with gods and demigods, and you know, and and people dressed up as a flying rat. You know, this is a relatable character for me. Yeah, and um, I think that's when you mentioned how, like, when the Baron run kicked off, how, like, people weren't into it. It's because they took all the aspects about him that were relatable and weren't focused. Like, the first thing they did was make him a millionaire, and it's like, what are you doing by making yes. him a millionaire? They make him uh, a, a super bachelor with every five issues is another girl he's talking to, and it's like, you think about nowadays, it's like, if I said Wally West, and you said, like, hopeful or whatever, if... Another thing people would describe is he's a family man. You yep. know, he cares about his family. He cares about people around him. And he, he's a 
he's always there to show trust and love and support. And it's like, read the beginning of that book. It's like, I don't know. I, I think he yeah, not, about not one thing, well. dude. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's girls between 18 and 22. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's tough. But, you know, the next writer guy starts to change some of those things, makes them more relatable. And Mark Wade gets on, revolutionizes the character again. You know, He revolutionized Flash Mythos, honestly. I, I would argue that there are two gigantic things that revolutionize the, the mythos, the lore of the Flash character. The first being when Mark Wade introduced the Speed Force. 100%. The second being when Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver brought Barry back and described how the Speed Force was formed. I think those are the two biggest moments in Flash history, really. If we're not counting like individual acts, like, yes, Barry sacrificing himself and, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths is a big moment, but I'm talking things that just add to the mythos in general, the, that build upon the lore of the Flash character in the Flash universe. I would say those are the two things. Adding the Speed Force, um, easily the, the biggest. That, that They were able to do so much with that, even to this day. And even though in New 52, they kind of, they didn't say that Barry created the Speed Force, but they say that he expands the Speed Force with every step that he takes when he's running. So they kind of like slid that under the carpet without entirely erasing it. They rewarded it. I don't think that's too bad too, because um in the the run before after Baron, uh it's like was it like Wilsmer Jones or whatever, he uses the character of like Tina McGee to elaborate that Barry is an anomaly and the way his speed works mm-hmm. isn't described by physics well as at your point Wally it is yeah so she like the person laid groundwork to create the speed force but not elaborate on how the speed is tapped into yeah which had Mark Wade go this is a great idea I'm gonna I'm gonna make it something I'm, I'm gonna, gonna take this and it. I'm gonna run with it exactly quite literally yeah yeah and um to this day, I mean, Flash is so synonymous with the Justice League because of the Speed Force now. Mm-hmm. It's it's intertwined with the character. Well, I the mean, early 2000s when um, they were bringing back the Justice League uh, after it had been a couple of years, um, you know, and, and Clark and Diana and Bruce were like, all right, we got to sort this out. Tornado's path. Yeah. Um, with, uh, great introduction. Uh, Brad Meltzer. Um the way they they formed the team there, I thought was great. I loved that they were like every handful of pages it would cut to them sitting at a round table and discussing, all right, who are we bringing in next? And you know, that one of my favorite moments is, um, you know, they have Nightwing, his oh, picture I, on the I table. Love that, yeah. and, and they're like, he won't join. What you, we haven't even, I already asked him. Yeah. We're supposed to do this as a group. Yeah. <laughs> but Bruce is like, no, not this, this one. one's personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that moment. But in, even in that, they were like one of the first people that they tried to set up. It's like, okay, we need a scout. We need speed. We need recon. All right. We need the flash. And right? it's funny. You think that a scene like that would happen in multiple Justice League titles or like be thought about. But then Meltzeron was the first time they did like a recruitment. Like they're yeah. like, oh, we have to plan it out. And, and they're putting logic and reason to each yeah. of the selections too. And it wasn't like a one issue thing, like the Nightwing issue, that's the second issue. It mm-hmm. goes on for a while. And you think about like, this is genius. Just starting out a run, introducing new characters, but also having little photo cameos of dialogue that you have the Trinity talking about these characters and how worthy they are. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if they think they're good, I can't fucking think they aren't. Like, yeah. 
and everyone's getting bigged up or if they they can't join the league there's a good rational reason to it a perfect example to that would be oliver right so they they brought in i know people that you know green arrow like mike you know green arrows their boy that's their favorite hero in the universe and you know he kind of took a back seat during Meltzer's run but for good reason at the time right yeah um and they utilized that not to shit on green arrow because they still had him pop in every now and then but they used it to further develop roy harper to turn him into greater than what he was and he needed it at that time because really at did. that point that was right after the outsiders run with I think that run for some characters is fantastic. If you like Roy Others, Harper in Nightwing, damaging. if you like Roy Harper and Nightwing or even Jade, you shouldn't read that run mm. because those characters are treated so badly and just a twisted perspective of them. And I think Winnick can be a fantastic writer at times, but he did not grasp those characters well. And it's weird because he does other work on Green Arrow and he writes Harper just fine. But when he's in the forefront, it was just drastically different so to go off a run like outsiders where they have nightwing and harper being a cock measuring contest about how to treat these soldiers that they don't want to be friends with but they kind of feel like they have to be friends with yeah to go from that to being like listen you're a dad you're an everyman and you've gone through a lot and we think you have the respect and the abilities to be on the justice league and to elaborate on that is the perfect evolution of his character mm-hmm. i think that was that was maturation right? for the character desperately needed maturation for the character and i, I was so glad that they did it he Meltzer's run is fantastic i actually just within the last few months started rerun rereading through that entire block it's what is it like nine volumes of that era of justice league of america yeah i i, I was going through a few months ago trying to reread a lot of the the series that i haven't read of team-ups with like nightwing or just titans in general and i, de- I had to consider outsiders i'm like well it's got Harper and it's got Nightwing. It's like Team Titans. Or it's like Titans, but with an edge to it. Yeah. And I was just getting through it. It's tough. It's so tough because they introduce all these new characters. It's like, I do like them, but my favorite character is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you just can't help but get through it. They introduce more characters. Like Starfire comes in, this, in the team and it's like... It's like I, I uh, compare that with in New 52, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Oh. Uh, that is one of my least favorite series i've ever read no matter which one except for rebirth Rebirth it it makes me sad because yeah it makes me sad because i love a lot of the characters that are on the team i like red hood i don't like jason todd as robin nobody did that's why they voted to kill him i like roy harper love starfire right i love these characters the stories for that were just bad and it makes me sad because kenneth rocafort is a freaking incredible artist and I perfect love style for the for the group too. Having yes. him do a group like Outlaws is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't like it makes me mad. It's like you have Lobdell on this team and it get, it's bad. So mm-hmm. they're like, all right, cool. We're gonna have you do the next series with them of just Red Hood and, and Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Starfire isn't the problem. <laughs> it's the writing. Okay, yeah. cool. We'll do another Red Hood and the Outlaws with Lobdell. It's like, oh my god, you're doing it again. But it's a different team and it's fantastic. Yeah. It, Some writers just can't handle certain characters. They're just not good with it. Um, I like, even though I I wanted more from it, I realized there was only so much they could do within six issues. I really enjoyed Flash Forward. Flash Forward gave me hope. Desperately needed hope after the bullshit they put Wally through in Heroes in Crisis. 
I know enough about the character um, to where when I was reading it, I could see that they were trying to really insert the character of Wally back into it. Like you could see the struggle because they, they couldn't just forget and erase that Heroes in Crisis had happened, unfortunately. Um, but they were doing it in a way, they were recognizing that that happened in a way that didn't make me hate my favorite character yes. or hate what I was seeing happen to my favorite character. I wanted more, I would have loved that to be a, uh, a, a maxi series instead of a mini. Yes, I, 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 mean, 12 I totally issues agree. instead because some issues felt really rushed um, because they had to just condense all of this into six issues. And that was, I was bummed after six issues because I wanted more. I liked what I had, but I wanted more from it. I wanted to get more into the meat of it. But I was also excited because they very clearly, and this wound up pissing me off by the end of the, the event, they very clearly were trying to set up Wally as being the crux of the next event, yeah. which would have been a first. This would this was going to be really cool for me, and I was stoked. I was so excited. I was like, "Dude, let's get the Mobius chair and Manhattan's powers right now. He's he's gonna fix some shit. I'm here for it. I'm here for it." And we brought back his kids. All right, cool. Let, I'm, I'm on board. Let's see what happens. And you know, throughout the, the first couple of issues of Death Metal, you know. They're like, Wally's important. Wally's important. We need the Mobius chair. We're we're protecting. They were hiding Wally. And then they just forgot that he was even there. Again, this yeah. is what they do with Wally. It's like, nope, we'll go the easy route. The one everybody could easily expect. We're going to make Wonder Woman the crux of everything. I'm Diana's part of the Trinity. <laughs> she doesn't need more exposure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's funny to think because when they did a lot of those one shots and I'm not one to buy a bunch of crossover like one shots, but the good thing about uh, death metal is that a lot of the stuff is just like my favorite thing about comics is just characters interacting. They're not fighting. They're just talking. And like, it's like kind of like melodramatic dialogue with this could be the end. What's next? The and they have great metal one, one of the best issues was I would argue the best issue out of that entire event. Um, I, easily, easily the best of the, uh, the one shots, I would say. And yeah. I would, but I'm a little biased. I'm a Flash guy and I'm a Wally guy. So I, I'm also going to say this. I, I would even say biasy though, because because writing, the only reason I like the last uh, stories in the multiverse, because you have a bunch of different stories that are getting finished off. That's the only reason I like that better because you're getting a good multitude in most of the stories really hit. And I thought that's a great way of capitalizing on a lot of them and having a variety but mm -hmm. the best self-contained story is a hundred that the one where they, they they were kind of like trying to put barbara and uh dick oh dick See, together and they, i thought that was kind of it's bad no it's bad when they when we had just gotten three jokers and i know that three jokers isn't necessarily canon, canon yeah. but like you're gonna give me this within the the same like three month period or whatever yeah <laughs> so it's even worse considering in that the, the Batgirl series was terrible. I don't care what anyone says. I don't Batgirl like hasn't been good in decades. I think Gail Simone's run at the New 52 when it, when it started was pretty good. I thought she did a good job. The first two volumes, like the first two arcs were solid enough. Like after that, it just... Yeah, I, I cannot stand the end of the series where it's like, oh yeah, he was, he had a bullet in his head so he doesn't have any memory. And he gets his memory back and he goes, yeah, I... No, our, I kind of want to see what we can do now that, like, I've got my memory back. She's like, 
well, it's convenient for you to for, forget about me. Now you care. It's like, well, it's not convenient, idiot. Taking a bullet he to the head no is not memory. convenient. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, man. Take it up with the writers, Babs. <laughs> yeah. She's been so inconsistently written. It's the biggest thing is like they de-age characters. Like most of the legacy characters are supposed to be like 21 to 23 mm-hmm. during this universe. But she's still older. They still have said she's still going to be around 28 because killing joke happens and she, or at the at the earliest maybe 24 25 because she's still older than the first robin nightwing which is fine but they write her like she's 17 they write her like she's a teenager and i wouldn't care if they gave like the burnside story to a character like stephanie or mm-hmm. you know that's a it's a good story with a bad main character it doesn't lend itself to that character and i don't i don't want to be like rude by saying that like it it's not it's not well written i just think you chose the wrong character for it you have so many characters in the dcu that can lend themselves into it you shouldn't make barbara gordon that's that story you shouldn't make her that character to lend itself into it you're making her feel devalued and younger than she should be and make her feel immature the stuff with oracle already happened it's still canon to this world to make oracle exist and then her act like that makes her feel so immature yeah it just makes her feel inconsistent like they don't know what the hell to do with the character and now with infinite frontier they're showing that oh made the spinal chip or whatever boop boop no work they're gonna put her back in oracle and they're gonna have to change her character around it's like wow it's almost like she's always been good as oracle and you shouldn't have changed this yeah i was fine with having her back in the role as batgirl Um, but I think Oracle really matured her character and had a lot of development. That's the thing. Batgirl wasn't bad, but it's just, it is working backwards. It is reducing your character because she a hundred percent does more as Oracle. Mm -hmm. So you think, what is she she doing? She was far more effective as Oracle. Yeah. So what is she doing as Batgirl? She swings around, does the same old, same old. It's like, but what's helping this? It's like, Mm -hmm. they pretty much gave the role of Oracle to Alfred for a bit where he had to be the man behind the chair. Yeah. That's like, I don't hate that for Alfred, but Alfred's dead now, so he can't do it. But more so, why is Barbara not doing it? That's the important question. Because she can walk, maybe wanted to go out and spread her wings and do stop crime. I'm okay with that, but primarily only doing that lends a lot of questions. If you need an extra pair of boots on the ground, cool. I get it. That's fine. Need a few more batterings, you know, batterings thrown. All right. I'm here for it. That's fine. But it still makes more sense. To have somebody with basically unlimited eyes and ears. Exactly. They and can coordinate everything. It's just weird they made that Alfred for a bit. Barbara never really says why. And it just doesn't happen until now that her, her chip is shorting out. Kind of got to sit down a few more minutes. Convenience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they bring characters like Cassandra Kane back and Stephanie back. And they're working more on them, which they should have been in the first place. I have people that are younger than me that are getting into comics and it's like they love these characters like Cassandra Cain and, and Stephanie Brown. I, I think some people really love Cassandra Cain and talk of her being the end-all be-all, but, you know, it's an She was re- written really well when James Tenyon was doing Detective Comics. Oh, yes. she that That is the best that that character has ever been. Um, and I would say that it was... It's been downhill from there. I think James Tenyon has a really, really great knack for the entire Bat universe and for the more human 
bat universe aspects. You know, when Snyder's doing stuff, Snyder likes to do this grandiose scope and scale. We're altering history or we're taking things from history and taking things that happened in freaking Final Crisis and carrying it forward here to use it for this current event. And that's cool. I enjoy those kinds of stories, but I enjoy the detective aspect the most when it comes to Batman. The boots on the ground, in the alley, and timing just works so well with that stuff. And he's still able to expand the Gotham mythos from that level. It's so good. He, he is the best writer that those characters, that, that family, the Bat family has had in a really long time. Yeah, I think expanding is the perfect way to say it. Like, he's expanded the universe. He's expanding the dimension of these characters. Uh, these characters before Detective Comics in the New 52 universe didn't get introduced till Batman and Robin Eternal, which is mm -hmm. one of those weekly series where people don't read because no one's going to go buy a $4 comic every week. That's a lot to expect. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff, I remember I went through and I read it. It's like, well... How, are, how did this happen? There's got to be some, maybe I got to read Batman and Robin Eternal. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, Tim and Steph are a couple. It must happen in Batman. No, they don't talk. <laughs> oh, Cassandra, <laughs> Kane and Steph. Oh, they're best friends. It must happen. Oh, I barely interact. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and that series doesn't happen. And Tynan's like, I know what you want. I know what you like. It's going to be ignorant because I'm not going to explain it. But you probably already know these characters. So you'll deal with it. Here you go. And it's like, you're right. I will be ignorant. I will love it. Thank you. You have a yeah. great run. I'm fine I'm with that. This is this is escapism. I just need to be entertained. Yes. 100%. Entertain me with characters that I enjoy and we're good. And I think making the scope bigger is the entire purpose. You always want to make it bigger. That's why, you know, there are millions of movies with superhero characters is because make the name bigger, make it prouder, make it more pronounced, make these mm -hmm. characters more important, make them household names. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question. <laughs> So, <laughs> that was a good segue, by the way. Thank you. Speaking of making the name bigger, what property outside of comics do you think showcases your character the best? What makes the name Wally West stick out and what really makes him say, hey, this is a great way to get into my character? I can think of a few off the top of my head, but I want to know what you think is the best one. I think a lot of people, mostly people that are probably a couple of years um, younger than me, would say uh, Young Justice, the Young Justice animated series. I would, however, go over their heads and uh, enforce my seniority and say Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. That is picturesque Wally West, um, especially during like the, the 90s, early 2000s era when like his character had been established. He'd become likable, um, but he, you know, he he can be lighthearted. He's joking. He's funny. He he is the heart in that team you can you can feel it when he's on the screen because he's able to goof around as much as he's able as he's able to be serious but he can goof around with any one of those characters you know he's he's snooping around and batman's like what are you even doing here right now and he's like oh uh it's uh it's last appreciation day i don't know you know that's a it, great great episode yes it is was <laughs> uh, it flash and substance i believe it's called yeah yeah that's my favorite one because it showcases why I like Wally Morris because he can just show up at one of the bars where all the villains are at. It's like, I don't have any reason to kick their ass. So I'm just here, you know, mm -hmm. just going to get some questions asked. It's like, yeah, nobody else would do that. I love that so much. Oh, yeah. No, nobody else would have the stones, but also just the devil may care 
attitude outside of maybe how how would do yeah. it but he would also start a bar fight yeah <laughs> wally would be there just like you don't bother me i'm not gonna bother you i'm just here to hang out yeah and uh that, that was one of the great things about the 90s cartoons in general my uh my girlfriend's a perfect example of this because she loves dc she loves dc heroes but she she's only read you know a, a small handful of comic books but she has watched all of the 90s animated series front to back several times and what I always tell her is that means that you still have the proper understanding of who these characters are at their core, because those cartoons were basically a one for one comic to screen. This is the core of this character. This is the heart of this character, the spirit of this character. Um, and so you can use those as your frame of reference forward when you look at anything else that's coming out. Um, and we recently started rewatching Justice League Unlimited as well, because those are on HBO Max and they had remastered that batman the animated series batman beyond freaking love and i i think next week they're dropping an hd remaster of the superman animated series which i'm gonna be totally here for i don't care what anyone says if you want to talk about quality the superman animated series is so much far above what people really expected oh, yeah. i mean i know a lot of people that are really stricken dc fans that they don't love the first justice league series because they feel like a lot of the stories aren't really good reflections of the villain characters that they're portraying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bes besides that, it's fun to get into, but Superman is, it's so bewildering too, because when you watch Superman in Justice League, it's so weird to think it's the same Superman from the animated series. Mm -hmm. They do such a better job on that animated series for showcasing Superman. They grasp that character top to bottom. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you have so many characters, it's tough to juggle, but that's a great reason why when you're talking about Wally, he has great dimension with all these characters because when he's in an episode, it's a buddy cop. Yep. You have, you have a straight man, and then you have the other guy who's always having fun. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect dynamic. You cannot have the main episode centered around Batman and Jon Stewart and have that. But no. you can't... Wally and any other character. Yep. That's why he's a great character to have in there. Even more puzzling why he's not in much of Unlimited, but yeah, still, yeah. when he's in it, you love it. You know, like I said, Flash and Substance, one of the best episodes of the entire series. Mm -hmm. Season two, but still, like, fantastic. A lot of fun to see him in there. Well, that goes back to what I said earlier about Wally just being a relatable character. That that goes beyond the, the viewer or the reader, right? That goes to all of the characters that he's interacting with. That's why he can get along with them because he can relate to them. They can relate to him and they see the humanity in him, I think, and they can latch onto that. And so they enjoy being around him. And that's why he's always so fun to be around and to watch those interactions. But yeah, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, without question, I would say. Young Justice did a good job for like a younger, younger Wally, um, but I, I preferred um, seeing him in the actual Flash mantle. I think it's good to have people recognize um, another adaptation. Like he's in Teen Titans for a few episodes too as well. And I think that interpretation is great because the problem with him is Kid Flash in uh, especially the new Teen Titans is he doesn't have a lot of moments to shine. Mm -hmm. He's a great character, but he doesn't have enough like, oh, this is Kid Flash. He, he's strong. He's cool. He's fast. The one episode he's in in Teen Titans, he makes everyone else look a joke. And these are characters that have been antagonist for the first season it's like oh man he just he's a really cool man mm -hmm. <laughs> you watch that one episode and it's like wow kid flash is a cool character i gotta get more into it so putting him into a, a show like young justice was great it's weird the team selection they chose because some of these characters don't bounce off each other as naturally yeah. but but i think they did a great groundwork 
I hear a lot of people say when they talk about young justices, as the seasons go on, the biggest problem is they have is that they feel like what they're watching isn't the most important thing happening at that time. Like yeah. they're watching the sideshow to a main event. Well, the main event is happening elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And like you're watching the, the the crossover issue versus like a tie-in issue versus yeah, a Yeah, it's a tie-in or a one-shot. Yeah. But the actual event's happening over there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I totally see that. I totally yeah, see that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I have a lot of problems with Young Justice. but I, think I personally a- think that it's, it's, a, it's not a bad show. No. But I think it's a little overhyped. It is. But I think at the same time, it's a great way to reintroduce Wally to a new audience because there's nothing else going on for the character to do that. And having a show like that that was going on was prominent. And with him getting another season coming out, it's very likely he's going to come back. Yeah. So it'll be great to see him get more screen time. Putting that name out there will be great for the character and just have another quote unquote rebirth for the character. Yeah. Do you think that in general comics has benefited from being adapted into so many different mediums like live action animated definitely the animated side especially with my generation 90s kids we were all about the cartoons 90s had the best cartoons and that's not biased that's just that's objective truth so and i say that unironically so people that got introduced to these characters via 90s spider-man 90s x-men 90s batman superman justice league all of that like they had it good they had it really good and it did a lot for the characters it started popularizing the characters more so than comics had ever done especially in that decade even though in that same decade in the 90s comics were at the biggest they'd ever been right uh, but still demonstrably more than that cartoons were able to make it a more widespread thing because not comic book stores local comic book stores aren't in every town no some people have to drive a really long ways to get to one and it's that's just far too inconvenient but they can they can turn on the tv and watch a tv show easily enough right then with the live action stuff it's hit and miss uh i think that it's good that it has it's, okay so it's a double-edged sword it's good in that it has exposed these characters to far more people i love that i want more people to love and enjoy these these fandoms these properties that i love and enjoy however at the same time the flip side to that the, the double-edged part is so often far too often the characters are misrepresented to where now the people that are getting all of this exposures all of a sudden to these characters are getting a skewed version of that character or a skewed version of these stories. I've gotten into so many arguments, I cannot even tell you, um, with Flash stuff, with people that they were introduced to the Flash via the CW, the Can't Write Network TV series, and me having to tell them, no, that that's not a Barry Allen villain. The villain's got no business here. Zoom, that, that is that is Wally's reverse flash. Hunter Zolomon was actually a good friend of Wally. It, so it, 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 yeah, it, it drives me nuts. Again, it's a double-edged thing. I love that more people are getting exposed to it because I want more people to love and enjoy all of this. But at the same time, represent it properly. Yeah, and I think double-edged sword is a great way to put it. I remember years ago when it came to shows getting prominently produced with CW especially, I was very against it and i was very much against the whole live action medium with comics because i'm just like all i'm getting at these marvel movies where everything's just so jaded for these characters and i'm getting these cw shows where these characters just share the same name and it's insulting mm-hmm. and i'm just sick of it man like i can go pick up a comic i don't care anymore like i don't need to i don't watch these shows i don't like them they upset me but mm-hmm. at the same time like <clears throat> we were lucky when we we're younger and we have 
you know, the animated Batman series or Batman Beyond or anything, and you can get these characters, it's like, I think they're cool. I know I'm going to go buy a comic book. Some people, it's not that easy. Some people aren't going to go out of their way to find a Saturday morning cartoon nowadays, especially. So they have to go and be like, okay, cool. I'm watching the show. And, you know, our friend Mike, for example, he wasn't super into Green Arrow. But when Arrow came out, he's like, the character's cool. Learn more about the character, love the character, started to dislike the show. Yeah, started to hate the show. Well, he he did it in the proper order there, which yeah, was like, all right, now I'm going to go and see the actual source material. I'm going to do the yeah. work. I'm going to do the research. And then it's like, oh, well, that that's shit. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> everybody has to come to that understanding. They have to come to that realization. It's like, okay, I guess, where do we go from here? And that, that's sucks, one issue but... that I have with, Again, it, it, I like that more people are getting into these characters and into these universes, but there's this really weird mentality that it's this arrogance that comes from ignorance oh, where, 100%. you know, it, it comes from, and not that all of them are bad, but what we call normies, they, their introduction to these characters is, all right, they saw an MCU film, which fine. I, I like most of the MCU films, perfectly fine. They're enjoyable, great popcorn flicks or get interested in them via the CW shows. And then whatever they saw on screen there, that is objective truth. And that is how that character has always been and always should be. Well, you're wrong. And I've got the storage unit full of long boxes to prove you wrong. Yeah. So no. And like, that's like, I have no problem if someone's like, this is why I like it. And I think it's great. It's like, that's so cool, man. Just like, I hate that someone's gonna try to tell me why I'm wrong about it. And it's like, First of all, most things are opinionated. Have your opinion on it, and I don't care. If you like that show, that's cool, but like, it's an adapted material. It's yeah. a TV show. It's not one-to-one, and I'm just saying, if you like this, try this out. Get into it. If you don't like it, that's cool. I know a lot of people that came to me when I was in high school being like, dude, I know you're big into comics. I, I love the Dark Knight movies. I want to read more Batman. Mm-hmm. And I'll give them like, oh, check this out, whatever. A good, starting, a good starting point for most people is Batman Hush because they have a, a lot of characters in there. Get a little touch and basis and then- Real quick, Hush, the animated film. I hate it. I don't want to talk good. about it. Okay, good. No, good. I, I hate uh, it. We're there. We're there. I, I know we're a there. lot of people hate the book in general. I don't get it. The book I, is fun. As you take the book, it has to be- You look at that like a starting point. Mm-hmm. I look at Hush like this is an introduction to characters. People are like, well, they don't have Cassandra Cain and they blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's valid. But like, what are you going to learn about her in this storyline? Nothing. She has, she has no business in that storyline. Yeah. Line. And that's fine. And I'm not saying I don't like the character or wouldn't want her in there. But this is a story with the artist of Jim Lee. He doesn't have that much time. So mm-hmm. you got to tell that story pretty short and sweet. You got 12 issues. Run with it. Yeah. They did it. Some characters are stereotypes or just a bare outline like Tim Drake. That's okay. I understand. I can go read the Robin series. Yeah. This is an intro. You yeah. can't look at Hush like anything but an intro. And I think mm-hmm. it's a great job of that. That's why I hate the movie because it's a terrible follow-up to the universe movies. Mm-hmm. It's not a good introduction. It bastardizes everything. It loses the entire purpose of it. And you gain <laughs> the, nothing. The entire that. ending is completely different. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, it ends the same... like. What happens at the end is the same end technically as the book, but how it gets there is so radically different and stupid. And it's the for whole, an entirely different reason. The whole reason Hush breaks him down is that like it destroys his level of trust. Mm-hmm. And oh, 
Selena says one remark that just makes him realize, I can't do this anymore. And it ruins everything. Mm -hmm. It shows how he can break down as a character and how Hush did get in his head, even if he ultimately lost. Yeah. So when it comes down to the morals of killing or not killing for the hundredth time, which has no theming in the movie in general, it's like, this is stupid and I hate Riddler being Hush. I hate that in general, but I hate it mostly because he is the main villain in the book. All you did was shave his head and just kill Tommy Elliot, which all you did is ruin more possibilities in your future. Yeah. Shot themselves in the foot. That's I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but you had brought up Hush. And so I immediately no, no. had to make sure. We I, I, get that a, that. I get that a lot. I always <laughs> say how much Hush is a good starting point. I'm like, oh, did you watch the movie? I'm like, you can watch yes, the movie. Yes, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I, I love animation. And I think some of the fight scenes are really well choreographed. But oh my God, just mute it. <laughs> just mute the movie and then watch it. Tell me if you like it more, please. Yeah. Personally. But ooh. I think it is a double-edged sword. You have stuff like that. Like, we have these animated movies. When DC started doing them, you'd have stuff like Superman Doomsday. You'd have uh, Superman Batman uh, Apocalypse, where mostly That's adaptations. A great film. Most of these adaptations, they are mimicking the art style of the artist, which is it's a one-for-one one of this. Yes, it's fantastic for an artist who no longer is with us, but did all-time favorite artist time. right there, Michael Turner. Uh, he does such great work, and he does so much dimension for so much character the introduction for Kara in the book she just looks so i don't know if peaceful is a good word but like there's an innocence about her innocent character. innocence the perfect word. um but he's able to imbue all of the female characters that he draws or used to with a just a power and yeah. you, you feel that coming off of Kara, his Kara specifically in a way that you don't from any other artist for me i think he did a great job of depicting a lot of these characters to feel not just powerful, but whimsical, which is yeah. important, especially for an introduction for Kara, mm -hmm. very important. And I think that's a great way to show how comics benefits. And that's one thing that I think should be showcased more through other mediums for comics. A lot of the times, you know, <clears throat> for a lot of the movies, you get shots that feel hollow. Mm -hmm. There's there's a good cinematic, like, there's a good frame of it. It's beautifully shot and there's like, no emotion to it and you feel why is that there's no there's no reference to it you know when someone's laying the groundwork for a big splash page they say what they want out of it the writer says i want this character to feel that and the artist does his best to interpret it but a lot of the times you when i'm seeing a lot of shots for these like movies it's just like this looks beautiful but like i'm getting nothing out of it there's the introduction in, in bbs where they do the the shooting of of martha wayne and, and thomas wayne and it's like People are like, that's shot so beautifully. I'm like, yeah, but I don't feel anything for this. I have no attachment to it. And it's not like I need to know more of these characters, but it's like, you're expected to care because it's Martha and Thomas Wayne. I have no no interest besides saying, oh, it's a pretty neat way they, they shot that. And I guess the panning is cool, but that's a technical thing. That's not an emotional thing. Yeah, I want emotion to it. Look at the way Tim Burton, it's a Piz 89 film. He doesn't have any... He, it's not even Martha Wayne and, and Thomas Wayne and Bruce that are in the alley. It's a regular just family that the same thing is happening. But the way it's done, you know, the kid's talking to his family about like the movie and it's cute. And you're like, it's endearing. And it's like, okay, yeah. cool. So when a mugger comes out, it's like, I don't want them to have a bad time. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this feels so much more. So when Batman swoops down and saves them, it's like, that is a great introduction to a character. It's a great introduction to a character that people already assume the origin. So it's a good flip, but also 
really poignant with saying, this is everything he stands for in five minutes. Well, he became Batman because he didn't want that shit to happen to anybody else. Exactly. And just showcasing the character for the intro by doing exactly that is like, I will never have to ask, why does Batman have to exist? Because you did it in five minutes in the intro of a movie. Yeah. Perfect example. And that's why I think that more adaptations should showcase not just the characteristics of the character, but like what you could do to lend itself in that medium. You have TV shows, you have animation, and you have movies. What can you do by making these characters hop over and benefit from them, not just having a name attached to it. When Arrow started, I was in high school and me and my friends were like, oh man, I can't wait for them to bring this character in or whatever, you know, it's Star City, it's not that far, it's pretty cool. By season five, I would say, I know this character is coming in and I'm horrified. Yeah. I am depressed at the thought of it. <laughs> Anytime they mention Bloodhaven, I'm like, don't fucking do it. <laughs> And it didn't even matter because they didn't do it. And then Titans came out and it was worse. So it's amazing. Mike, for so long, <laughs> was trying to get me to watch Titans. And I'm like, bro. I, I think, I so can't. I like to watch things to get an idea of it and be like, all right, I got to make up my own mind on it. But it's not promising. People get mad at the whole fuck Batman line. It's like, hey, dude, if you read him in the 90s, in the early 90s, before the black and blue suit a lot of times he is like fuck batman he just doesn't say it because it's a he was comic. saying that without saying it exactly yeah. so like, that, that's perfectly fine and i'm i believe in intellectual honesty so if if i'm going to trash talk something it means i've consumed it to be able yeah. to speak to it firsthand yeah um and that's how i have been with everything regarding superheroes yeah um i will first check it out and see if i'm proven wrong right 100 titans has been the sole exception because I in, in that I haven't like watched it all the way through like the first season or whatever. I just cannot do it because what I have seen of these characters for me in DC, the Flash mythos, Titans and Teen Titans yes. is right below that. All everything surrounding them, and then it goes like Supergirl and Green Lantern, and then down from there. So I know these characters. I know how they're supposed to be, and I don't see any of it, and it drove me insane. I. I get that Mike a lot of times looks thing looks at things strictly from a technical perspective first. He's a film critic and I get that and I respect that. I respect his opinion from, from that, that regard immensely. I hold him in immensely high regard. But this was one instance where I was like, I, I cannot do this. Oh yeah. <laughs> it hurts my soul. I, I agree. I would also say the same, you know, as far as like entire history of like DC universe, the Teen Titans is at the top of my list along with just the Bat universe. I know mm -hmm. so much about those two things. So, and I, I'm not one to be a stickler. Like I need things one-to-one. -one. I see a lot of people being like, oh, you know, it's weird they did this instead of doing this. It's like, dude, it's a, it's a TV show. They're never going to adaptate the comic you like. Just read the comic. Just try to get something new or cool out of it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I got so little out of it. There's so many things about Titans that, just as an actual story, take out the Teen Titan comic from it, Teen Titan anything, it's just not very good. The characters aren't interesting. And I'll say a lot of the times, like, oh, who's your favorite sh uh, character on the show? It's like, if I say Dick Grayson, it's a bias because I hate him on that show. He is yeah. so bad. But I just like to say that's my favorite because the name. Mm -hmm. But getting through the show, it's so tough. It's so tough to see characters that, like you say, you said earlier in the podcast or, or early in the episode, is that they're a family. And Teen Titans is supposed to be a family. And the worst part is they say they're a family. They say, 
what it means to be a Titan as a family. This is the worst fucking family I've ever seen. I was going to say, never, they don't act like they even like each yeah, other. I'll never do the shit other. I do to my family that these guys do to each other. You, you have, by the end of a second season, uh, the character of Jason Todd is almost the nicest guy on the show because everyone here is a terrible human being. Absolutely horrible. Not helpful one bit. And it's like, wow, this is Teen Titans. This is, if you want to boil down the hottest properties of DC Comics, out of any of them, Batman's the hottest. I don't care what anyone says. Superman is next. Wonder Woman. Easily the fourth one is Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. The, the, the TV show is really popular, and a lot of the younger audience want to go at it. It's called Teen Titans. Yeah. Teenagers are already swarming towards it, and you did it that poorly. It's unbelievable. I, I was... It's such a stark contrast to the the animated Teen Titans yeah. series that we had in the early 2000s. Because it's such a great show. And I have my own problems with that show regarding yes. like how it handles relations with certain characters and all of that and storylines. But it's just, it's a well-written show. You know, they, they, there are a lot of deviations continuity-wise from the source material. But the show itself is just a good damn show. That's what you should get out of every TV show and movie you, you watch, though. You should say, I have my own problems with it because of pre-existing knowledge, but it's a damn good show. That's what I should be able to hear and say after all these adaptative materials is that it's different. It's not going to be the same, but I'm enjoying it. And it sucks to say, I'm just not enjoying this right now. <laughs> this is like, not, it's not similar and it's not good. Yeah. Like if it's going to be radically different, you better at least make it fun or something or interesting. And it's like, this isn't interesting. These characters, they just hurt me in ways that I thought couldn't be hurted visually. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Freaking rude. Do you think your character could create a persona on its own, though, that transcends just the name? Because if I said in a household, oh, yeah, Batman, everyone has an idea in their head what Batman is, or who Batman is. Same with Superman, like relative to how much people are right about these things, they have their ideas. And Spider-Man. I'd say those three especially have the idea of an origin, an idea, and just an example. You ask... A hundred people that have not lived under a rock their entire lives, who Batman is. I would say a good 95 or more of them is going to say, first one, yeah. uh, parents shot in an alley, something like that, train became became Batman. Okay, arch, arch villain's the Joker. All right, cool, fair enough. Uh, who's Superman? Clark Kent. You know, love with Lois Lane, uh, Daily Planet, from Krypton, doesn't like Kryptonite, Lex Luthor's baddie. Cool, all right. Peter Parker, same thing, you know, you go on and on from there. Those are singular characters that I think have existed so long that they have hit that trend level of transcendence. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Clark Kent is Superman. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. There have been other people that put on the suit, but it's just that. They put on the suit. It's it's not like... it's Those characters aren't like the Green Lantern, where you're part of a core. You're part of a, a intergalactic, yes. uh, you know, space-faring police force or military, essentially, where you expect to see dozens, hundreds, thousands of people wearing the same uniform, part of the same cause. There are characters certainly that stick out more, like Hal Jordan, and like in The Flash, I, I would argue Barry Allen. I, the, the immense Wally fan that I am wants to say, yes, Wally can transcend that in the same way, but I don't believe that The Flash is a mantle that that would really happen with. And it's because it's one of the few instances where it is a mantle. It's not, it's not just like a symbol. It's not, it's not a, this person is this hero, period, end of story. Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I don't care who the hell else is in the suit. 
Same thing with Clark Kent and, Sp and Superman. Same thing with Diana and Wonder Woman, et cetera, and so forth. The Flash is more of a mantle. If anything, I think that Wally would be far less likely to be that guy with regards to the Flash. But that's due mostly to him constantly getting shat all over <laughs> in the comics and other media and either being done wrong or just not done at all. So as much as I would like for that to be the case, I don't honestly believe that that would happen, which makes me sad to say. If anything, it would be Barry. Um, that's because Barry's the one that gets all the exposure. He's the one that is the main character in the CW Flash. Um, and Grant Gustin gets bits and pieces of the character of Barry correct. Almost everything else in that show is incorrect, like starkly incorrect. And I'm not, I'm not gonna rant for eight and a half hours about Ezra Miller. Um, yeah. Next question. <laughs> that will be here all damn day. <laughs> do you think the ad, like, do you think adaptating comics is different from other mediums? Because when people try to adaptate books, it's usually they try to do their best to stick as close to the adaptation as possible. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to make a new Harry Potter film. It's like they only want to stray so far from it when they're adaptating it. But for comics, it does feel loose. There is a lot less that people feel the need to bring over. Why Which is ironic to me because um, unlike novels, you you have everything right here, right? You, you have, this is what this character looks like. These these are the relative designs of their, their suits. These, these are the stories that are being told. Ironically enough, the MCU, for the most part, while making tweaks that would make things fit in, you know, a two hour block of a film, they did a pretty great job in their first few phases of not necessarily a one for one, but a one for not too far off. They got the core of all these characters, or at least the majority of them, I would say. And the storylines, you know what storyline they're going off of, right? Do I wish I would have actually gotten the mad Titan Thanos that was doing all of this shit just to impress death? Yeah, I think that's badass um, and, and psychotic, but he's the mad Titan. He didn't feel like the mad Titan to me. He was a cool character. <laughs> there were some moments where I was actually rooting for him, but the MCU showed that you can get damned close to one for one and people will eat it up. Because here's the thing, the the vast majority of the population doesn't know any better. Make it entertaining, make it a great popcorn flick and they will eat it up. They will spend billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars to go see these films. And that tells me that there's no excuse to not make it as close as possible. When you have things that are actual visual reference um, and you have these stories, yes, you're gonna have to, you know, something that was a, you know, year long multi-title event in comics, you're gonna have to make some tweaks to make that fit in the span of a two to three hour movie. They had to do that with Lord of the Rings too, okay? But Lord of the Rings, I'd say is like the, the like gold standard for a movie adaptation from a book to film. And I think there's really no excuse for comic book movies and comic book TV series to not, especially TV series actually, because you can, you can basically take a TV series as an issue by issue basis in a storyline, right? 30 minute episode, 20 page comic. You can do that and you can either take out a couple of things here and there, or you can add in a couple of things here and there that'll make it fit better in a, a live action setting. That's just how that is. There, there's no 100% perfect translation from 
page to screen. It Some things just don't work that way. Um, but you can get damned close and there's no excuse not to. There's no excuse not to because, like I said, the general population that's consuming the content doesn't know any better. So the people that do know better, us, the people that have the knowledge of all the source material, will just be happier for it. No, you, lo agree. you lose nothing. You gain more. Yeah. And like you said, with visual reference, especially, it's just that what do you have to lose when you have a good indicator of what you need right in front of you? you know especially for older comics like there are those dialogue blocks too so it's like you have things written out for like the emotion you even want in the scene so even for older comics it's even better you know you don't have as much of the character work but that's easy to put in there you know yeah just get a good actor or actress and they can emote that you, you get a good director that can help bring the emotion that you want to see in that role and in that scene and a good performer will be able to do that with whatever lines you throw at them I think it just has come down to, you know, no matter how how many decades on from when these comments are initially said, like, it is just looked down upon. Like, people do not look at the medium as comics as a relative serious way of storytelling. And, you know, it's, it's disgusting to think, you know, especially after books from the 80s and 90s and 2000s, you have such serious tales, not just like, I mean, indie comics tell serious stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, you can't have an indie book come out that isn't having some deplorable thing going on. Like, oh, my God, I, I didn't think about it this way. Mm -hmm. But even in main comics, you know, sometimes they're not done well. Like, I cannot stand the way things are done in Identity Crisis. Mm -hmm. But there are some books that really touch on, like, emotion, uh, the feeling of, like, claustrophobia, of what it means to be in a mantle, the, the idea of what it means to actually save someone in, like, to grasp what a superhero does in a lot of these books done from the 90s and 2000s and people still say it's just kid shit you know like i don't I, comic I, books i actually wrote an article that was uh comic books are not for kids and then i, I listed some that are actually geared towards kids many of which are you know centered in marvel or dc but they're very specific they're not main continuity books yeah, I think I called it like comic books for young readers or something like that. But yeah, comic books, that, that is not a kid's medium. It hasn't been for a few decades. Uh, maybe early on, yes, it was. But after the whole um, Comic Code Authority thing basically went away and we could get back to mature storytelling, the comic books have not been for kids. Yeah, I mean, the primary age range, I think, for most readers is 13 to 17 for, for comics. And so. even then... A lot of people that are that age range are just watching it. Yeah. The majority of the people that are buying it are actually like 30s and up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I'd say most people at the, the their LCS, the, the constant people coming in are at least 30 years old. Mm -hmm. I see people that are like, you know, 60 years old. It's like, I, I'm getting tired, man, but <laughs> just yeah. give me my issue. I got to go home, you know, yeah. and they'll <laughs> spend, they'll, they'll spend like 120 bucks on there. there. It's like, man, imagine being 65 and spend $120 on your new comic books coming out. And being disappointed that the issue uh, sucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Come on, man. Old, you don't need that kind of depression at your age. Yeah. The older they are, the more jaded you get too. So you're just not helping yourself. Yeah. It's not encouraging at all. No. <laughs> What would you say are some of your favorite portrayals, though, of characters in different mediums, like animated, live action, or otherwise? We've been talking about it all podcasts already. Like those those '90s cartoons, man. The Batman, Batman Beyond, 
Terry's the, the only other acceptable uh, replacement for Bruce. Superman, Justice League, those were so good. And then on the Marvel end, the X-Men and Spider-Man 90s animated series, those were just incredible. Those are peak superhero storytelling examples. There, there are a lot of live action superhero films I like actually. I like the first two X-Men films. I really love First Class. I hate that they focus so much on Mystique in that, that universe. But other than that, the storytelling and the the acting was peerless in First Class. Uh, Freaking Winter Soldier, such a damn good film. Amazing Spider-Man, most. Oh, you can most. hear from him that I, out of all the Spider-Man films, the first one is still, for Amazing Spider-Man, is still my favorite. Yeah. Um, good. All right. You got a good head on your shoulders. Because um, <laughs> that is the most comic accurate of that character from his core, how he interacts with people, the emotion behind the character, his growth, basically to any of the comic runs from, I want to say from when McFarlane was on the book through present. I've gotten into un, just ridiculous, countless number of arguments with people online. Um, and it, it usually comes down to... Uh, I don't like Andrew Garfield on, on the character because Andrew Garfield's bad on the character. Well, why is he bad on the character? Because I'll lay out all of this groundwork of like, well, this is why he's accurate to this. This is why this is accurate. This is why this is accurate. Oh, but it's bad. Okay, you can have your opinion. Yeah. I don't care. It doesn't preclude me from enjoying it, but it also doesn't preclude you from being wrong because I got it right here. <laughs> yeah, and I think people look at things so starkly with what they want to like, and it's like, there is no better example of, I would say, the 2000s era of Spider-Man than Andrew Garfield, 100%. He very much fits not just the, the aesthetic look. I mean, that's how Peter Parker was drawn. I mean, people always would put... He's been drawn that way for a really, really yeah. long time. People I will mean, say he's too much of a pretty boy. Are you expecting Ditko-era Peter with the bow tie right now? It's also dumb. Like, you think freaking Peter Parker is going to be the ugliest kid in school and have two girls fighting over him? Like, he's, yeah. just, a, he's just a loser because he, he's just an idiot and he's just socially awkward. It's not like he was ugly. No, also, he's you put, never been described as yeah, unattractive. You put freaking Harry, Cog uh, Harry Potter spectacles on him. It's like, well, yeah, you're not going to look the cutest for a while, but yeah, that, that stupid look only lasts in the 50s. And yeah, I, I don't hate the fact that people would want to make him look a more like relatable or like people like the idea of the Diggo era Spider-Man, but you can't transfer that so long. And people love the um, the Sam Raimi movies Raimi films, yeah. do a great job of Ditko era Peter without making him entirely look like Ditko era Peter. Tobey yeah. Maguire does a good job of looking like a freaking dude. Um, yeah. But they could still, it, even that though wasn't a one for one because what are they going to do? Throw a bow tie on him? No. Now I definitely believe he's getting the crap kicked out of him because yeah. people are going to be making fun of him. Nobody was wearing yeah. that in the early 2000s. You, you, when you do that, all of a sudden the character becomes less relatable. Oh, yeah. And the entire thing with Peter is that he is Marvel's everyman. He is the most relatable character in their universe, bar none. And, and, and you, you can't lose that. That's an incredibly vital facet to his character is his relatability. I think that's what Marvel's worried much about. Yeah. I think Marvel's worried about losing that relatable aspect, too, because they so oh, are consistent well, about doing it. I um, <laughs> I was going through and reading some earlier books from DC. I've been going through Firestorm a lot. And uh, hmm. it, the funniest thing is that because Firestorm encapsulates DC in the 80s, especially the way DC handles Firestorm is how it to me, that is DC's Spider-Man, because it perfectly encapsulates how they wanted a character to grow up and show what it's like to grow up and be worried about making decisions, being brash and impulsive, 
but having a good head on his shoulders and also having a mentor figure, not just an idea like Uncle Ben, but in actuality, like Martin Stein, push him to make good decisions, Mm -hmm. but also still be young enough to fuck up and you understand, well, he can't do all the right decisions. He isn't mature enough yet. Mm -hmm. And they always handled him well like that. And they had him mature. They have him go to college and then they kill him off because the problem is he does encapsulate the 80s. And as the generations got on, they're like, what do we do with Firestorm? They gave it to Martin Stein. They made it about the Matrix more than the person. And as the idea of Firestorm got more increasingly cool, the idea of Ronnie Raymond being important became less and less impactful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's amazing to think about how Firestorm has gone through that. And DC has now struggled consistently with how to handle him. When they did the relaunch with New 52, it was like, all right, well, Jason became a cool character and he is a cool character. I like him a lot, but he's different. Let's make them both Firestorm. Well, you're, you're losing the idea of why he was like Spider-Man, why he was relatable, because now he has two na- teenagers yeah. just figuring things out and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's also how do you adaptate that or 80s material and make it still work nowadays? And I think it's even more of a comparison to Spider-Man because Spider-Man has floundered. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dan Slott's been on the, the book for, God, no, 10, 15 years. He was on it for a really long time before Nick Spencer took over. And, and now Spencer's on it. And it's like the people have had a problem with relatability with Parker for so long, <clears throat> even in the 90s book. I mean, I know a lot of people were not happy with the clone saga, but when Ben Riley took over, they're like, dude, I'm glad he's taking over. I'm sick of Peter Parker right now. Mm-hmm. And there was no relatability left for him. Because yeah. they had just hurt him so much during that Clone Saga epic. And now when Slot took over, it was like, we have to make him an adult, but still treat him like a teenager. And that's the biggest thing. When you have characters that encapsulate relatability, you have a character like Wally West who did grow up. He wasn't a family man from the get-go. He became that. He became relatable because he made decisions that you as a human would say, I would do that. And Spider-Man has had the idea of that and they wanted to make those decisions, but still act like a teenager and he hasn't grown past it. And that's why I feel like him and Firestorm have been so consistently stuck in this basis of, we want these characters to be great. We like the teenage hot-headed attitude. We like them being snarky. We like them being fun. How do we make them grow up? What do we do? With Spider-Man, I would say the PS4 Spider-Man game that came out a couple of years ago is a perfect example of that. They took Peter, plopped him in. All right, now he's in his early 20s. He's been doing this for a few years now. He's He's got a stronger head on his shoulders. He's more sure of himself. He's more experienced. And they put him in great new situations um, that made him mature further. But they it never once felt like they had to make him a teenager or lose the quippiness, the smart Alec remarks. They kept the character of Peter as Peter ought to be whilst maturing him. And and that is, I think, the best example I've ever seen of that being done in any any medium for a a superhero character. Yeah, I I think the problem is that you don't have to mature Spider-Man as much as you have to mature Peter. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing is that they don't want to mature either. And Peter Parker has to be an adult. Peter Parker has to know what it means to be making grown-up decisions and have weight to his actions. And they don't want that to happen. That's why I'm glad that even though his run was hot and cold and I'm basically out of it at this point, Nick Spencer started off his run with like, all right, enough of this nonsense, Peter and MJ. Yeah. We're together. This is, this is the thing. This is it done. I'm, we're not, we're not screwing around with this anymore. Okay. Enough of the, the flirty back and forth stuff. Oh, but I can't be with you. No, enough. They're together. Deal with it. I was really happy for that. And there were some really good stories told 
but then he didn't end up going anywhere with it. And MJ kind of wound up being the side side story at times. They were doing some interesting things. He was doing some interesting things with her early on, which was she was attending this kind of peer group of people who are not superheroes, but they're in relationships with superheroes. And to talk about that with other people that are in her same situation, how to work through it and deal with it and solve for what emotional turmoil you're put through when he slings out of that window and you don't know if he's coming back. I love that stuff. Right? And that was that was a really great way of handling that. That was a great way of taking a really deep emotional conflict thing that has always been there between Peter and MJ, right? That's always been the thing. Because Gwen, you know, she throws herself into stuff, but MJ has always kind of had this conflict of he's leaving again. Right. I know he has to leave. He has to do this. This is a responsibility. But that has always been an underlying issue for them, even though they're meant to be together. And it was a great way of tackling that deeper relational issue without making it trash like Heroes in Crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and I loved that. And that's something that we don't we don't see often enough because you can tell deeper stories in comics. Yeah, you just have to tell them well, and you have to tell them in a way that feels consistent with the characters you're telling that story with. It just sucks when you feel like you're getting an outline and not the finalized product. Like you get, and that's like, what wound up happening. Yeah, it it sucks. I, I feel that all the time, especially with stories like that. Like nobody I know really reads comics for the fight scenes. I'm sorry, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but people read comics because they like the characters. Mm-hmm. It, because these characters feel real, but they have an infinite amount of power to them. Yeah. yeah, I love watching a sick fight scene. I love seeing an artist do an amazing spreadsheet, but I want to know that I want my hero to survive it. I don't want to mm-hmm. just be like, all right, cool, next page. Like, I remember when I was reading Death of the Family for Scott Snyder, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's some, I, people really love his run. There's some stuff later on, like the zero year stuff he does. I'm not super hot on, but when he did Death of the Family and they did the whole, all the members of, of the Bat family are all tied up and did, did the reveal of the faces in the chocolate box. I That's the first time I can really remember being like, this is the whole point of a page turner. This yeah. is the entire idea of what I need to flip to the next page and see what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's, it's not possible. They didn't actually do it. It was just like a good joke, but... That's what you need. You want to feel like you're pushed to the next page. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times you see action pages like, oh, yeah, it's a good action page, but like, what do I get out of it? I don't want to see my favorite characters have no face. Yeah. That makes me feel like I need to see the next thing. I need to finish the story. What's going on? My heart's bursting. And I don't feel like you get enough of that. And a lot of times when, when you don't have page turners, you don't have things that make you feel like you have to read it versus you want to. I, of course I want to. Why would I buy the book? I'm not going to spend three to four dollars and be like, all right, I'll see you in a month. Mm-hmm. But like, I want to feel like I'm getting pushed to finish the story. I got a writer over here telling me you're not going to want to mix this, miss this next thing that's going to happen. Oh, exactly. that was, that was a good, a good book to showcase it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Time. How many mainstream adaptations do you think interested you into reading comics? Cause most people, that are into comics, they don't just go to the store and be like, oh, that looks nice. I'll pick it up. There's something that got them that jumpstart. You know, it's funny. I started with the animated, like Batman, Spider-Man, and X-Men animated series and got my first two comic books, Man of Steel and Flash, at about the same time, within like a year or two span Mm -hmm. of each other. So I kind of lumped those two things together as far as getting into those first. 
So I knew of the Flash. So I guess I'm trying to think of a more prominent example, though. No, it's funny. I I, I did it in the reverse order. I, I would say that you know, apart from the couple of animated series that I you know watched on on a weekly basis, I did comics before you know seeing any of the movies. Yeah. So I would say maybe the one exception would be like maybe Wonder Woman. I knew of Wonder Woman. I knew a lot of her stories. I I wasn't like buying her comic books. Uh, most of my experience with Wonder Woman had been through interactions with the Justice League, um, not just the TV show, but also in the comics. And so after seeing the movie, the first movie, then I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'll I'll add I'll add Wonder Woman to my uh, weekly poll list. That didn't last very long because the the run at the time was not good. But was that Rucka who did it? No, this was after Rucka. Um, oh. I forget what what her name was. It was that forgettable. It was just not. The art was really good. For Rebirth, uh, but, right? Yeah, yeah, in Rebirth yeah. era. I didn't, um, I didn't like the start of it. Yeah, it Azarello not... did some really great stuff. I knew he could do. I thought his, Azarello, Wonder yeah. Woman, his Wonder Woman run was really good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that's probably the main one. After seeing Aquaman, like, I, I knew that that wasn't very representative of how Aquaman's been since 2012 when Jeff Johns was writing it. But the movie was fun as hell anyway. And so I said, all right, you know, I'm going to read more Aquaman because I'd read like the first couple of issues. And so then I read John's entire run. Because like I had mentioned earlier, like I when New 52 popped off and I'm like, no, Wally, not interested. <laughs> I don't blame uh, you. And then I went back and then I wound up reading a lot of things. The only thing that I had read through it almost through its entirety at the time was Batman. But then I went back and I read all of John's run. Um, I wound up reading all of Flash and... There's one or two other books that I read the majority of. Um, Teen Titans. There are things that I like about it. A lot of things that I don't. But yeah, it, for the most part, I, I did do it in reverse order. Comics first. And then got excited for the live action adaptations. I think there's a funny period about um, when you are a comics fan of the excitement for a live action interpretation. Mm -hmm. Because there's a certain age where you're really excited for anything that you like getting adaptated. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain age when you're just like, I don't care. Well, because you've seen it done wrong so yeah. many times that it's you like, checked out. <laughs> I just, I don't care. You can do it. You can like it. I don't fucking care. Yeah. You have fun. Yeah, enjoy. I, I say this to people all the time that I get into arguments with over certain takes on the Marvel or DC universe and, you know, one writer's adaptation over another, um, specifically regards to live action film. I won't, I won't name any names here right now, but you might pick up what I'm laying down. You can, just as you said, you can like that. I don't have to. Don't feel like me not liking it precludes you from liking it, but I have reason to not like it because of these stacks upon stacks of books. Yeah. Uh, because I don't recognize who's on the screen right now. I see the suit. I see the suit. I see the name, but I don't see the character. Yeah, and you cannot take out the attachment you have to those characters. It's like because no, it goes beyond the it goes beyond the surface level it goes beyond the aesthetic these yeah. i don't have speed force powers god i wish i did you know i i i am not a, a blonde teenage female but it didn't preclude me from relating to kara in some way shape or form when i picked up this you know we, comic book fans true blue comic book fans find avenues to relate to any character some characters more than others but it doesn't matter what they look like it doesn't matter what's between their legs um, we find these characters, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a black man with, with a power slinging ring, but I can relate to Jon Stewart in far more than one way. 
because that's the deeper thing with comic book characters and something that comic book fans are able to do. We can relate to these characters in their deeper facets. It's not a surface level thing. This is first and foremost, a visual storytelling medium. That that's what sets it apart from just picking up a, a novel, you know, a YA novel or, you know, a big epic like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or whatever, Harry Potter, whatever, insert title here. And so when you remove the deeper aspects of characters, the things that people actually relate to, right? I relate to Superman because of his goodness, because of his righteousness, because of his desire for justice. Not because he looks a certain way or because he's super freaking powerful, right? I relate to him as a character. And I think that the majority of comic book fans and fans of superheroes would agree with that statement because they're that, that I think is the most human possible thing, relating to each other and relating to these other characters, human or otherwise, from an aspect of humanity, not from an aspect of what you look like. I definitely agree. I mean, the whole point is to make characters feel relatable even when they are so far-fetched. Right, that's one I of the reasons why Superman works so well, because of his humanity. Because otherwise, yeah. how could anybody relate to practically a god among us? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people that would still say their favorite character is Martian Manhunter, and it's a character that's whole entire base outline is to be so radically different mm -hmm. and to be from another world and not understand things. But, but they see something in that character that they're like, you know what, I can latch on to this. Exactly. I can relate to this. And I think that's what's so interesting about creating characters like that is because you can find something in anyone. Mm -hmm. There's characters that sometimes they don't click for you, regardless of, you know, they're a bad character from your perspective or just a character that doesn't pique your interest. But out of at least 10 characters, you're going to find one being like, I want more. Mm -hmm. I need more. There's got to be something else. Yeah. And that's why the medium of comics is so great, because you get new characters, at least 10 to 50 new characters per universe like a year and it's so tough to be like that's why there's a lot of young fans that are struggling it's like i love this character you just introduced and i've got nothing in it you know you introduce yeah. it and now there's nothing Especially well that's when you do things that's when writers will take shortcuts and they'll say well i'm going to introduce a new character but they're really just this character yeah that's kind of different because we're lazy and it's easier to just attach a more popular character's name onto this instead of putting in the work to write a new character. Oh, all these characters, they act like these characters were created five minutes ago. No, these characters have been around since the 40s, at least with regards to like Batman, and Superman. It took decades upon decades to build them to the notoriety and the, the iconic status that they're at today. That takes work. And there were a lot of stories that did not work. There were a lot of characters. Think of how many countless characters have fallen by the wayside or just never landed yeah, in the course of comic book history, <laughs> right? And that makes me sad because I like certain writers' takes on Garth a lot. I, I love I Garth. I think they do oh. really cool stuff with him. I really liked where they were going with him in Rebirth. I, I'm a huge collector. I love mm -hmm. collecting figures of all my favorite characters or statues. It'll always infuriate me. I could never, because you can get the five main titans or whatever as like, oh, Speedy, Aqualad. You will never be able to get one of Garth as Tempest. Not yeah. only is his 2000s costume still his coolest costume with the red and black color scheme. Yeah. He comes out with the powers of like Mira with the strength and attitude of Aquaman. It's like, wow, you've made him the total package. What are you going to do? Forget he exists. <laughs> nothing. <Yeah. laughs> We're going to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that, I'm like that with Wally. 
we're going to literally canonically in a book say he is the fastest thing to ever have existed in all of the multiverse and we're going to say he's going to become one of the greatest heroes ever to have existed in the multiverse then what are we going to do we're going to have him murder a bunch of heroes yeah and then forget it it always feels like stop start and like i don't need my favorite character to be the most powerful character i hate that the idea of someone's like well, he needs to do this and that. It's like, you don't like him because he's strong. I don't yeah. care what you think. You don't Correct. like him because he's strong. Mm-hmm. You like But him don't tell me you're going to do that and then not do oh, it. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, like, it's not the Mobius share is why you're interested with Wally. It's mm-hmm. because you feel like he's becoming treated fairly. <laughs> because mm-hmm. he, he's treated like Wally again. It's because he matters. The thing is, like, people are so stuck with the idea of it's like, you just want your character to be more prominent and have everything. My character could do nothing of significance in a big crossover as long as i feel like everybody loves him or everyone knows why he matters why he's important why his name has weight to it yeah i almost get selfish now because like there's characters that are coming out a year or two ago oh we're gonna put you on hbo max and a new tv show we're gonna put you in in a new movie or a new marvel show it's like dude i still have no live action adaptation of kyle rayner and I'm yeah. going to get Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz in next year. Yeah. And it's like, I love every, like, people are so lucky to get these characters. They like getting adaptations and maybe they don't like, realize how lucky they are. They, yeah. Super lucky. You really still haven't gotten an actual Wally West based on that character. Nope. Yet, you know, we've, and, we've kind of gotten Wallace. Yeah. And I don't like the flash show anymore. I thought they did a decent job with that character and it's cool, but like, they, they actually I will give them credit for this. They made him more or less Wallace from the New 52 comics in the early uh, early part of Rebirth. Like that was that was pretty darn close. I'm not a yeah. huge fan of the character because I think the character is pretty shallow personally. And that that's having read all of the Flash from New 52 to the present. It's one of a few books that I still get every single other week. And that's having read the Teen Titans as well upon which he's a member of the team. I haven't seen enough character development there to make me say I'm a fan of Wallace, but I'm willing to be convinced, just like I was willing to be convinced of Bart when I didn't like him at first either, as I'm sure other people weren't fans of Wally at first. That's that's how I feel a lot for um, Damien, especially when he was introduced. It was a very tough introduction of a character. I have a lot of Tim Drake fans that just be like, I still can't get over Damien because I've taken over the mental from Tim. It's like, I, it's weird, but it's hard to be older the age of 20 and be Robin at this point. It yeah, feels well, like a stepping stone. Yeah, I'm okay with Tim passing the the proverbial torch or the baton. Um, baton's yeah. probably more appropriate here. Um, to uh, Damien, as far as the role and mantle of Robin goes, I think Damien, it, you know, the kind of Batman and son type of a dynamic. Yeah. I think that's cool and something that should be explored in a positive light. Um, it's something that they just haven't really done since the early 2000s. And then I, I like... Damien in the Teen Titans. I don't like the current setup of the Teen Titans, though. Oh. The first couple of volumes in Rebirth, I actually really liked. There was strong storytelling there. And it actually was one of two things that made me start to like Damien. I don't like him again now, um, but that's because the writing just hasn't been there. But between he, early Rebirth... Stuff, yeah. yeah, between early Rebirth Teen Titans and Super Sons. Everyone, nobody can say they don't like Damien if they've read Super Sons. Yep. Everyone loves Super Sons. I've Super Sons, that was, the, that was the best book in DC's line. 
Tomasi always gets it because he also did Damien in Batman and Robin for New 52. Mm-hmm. And like, he just gets it. He always got what it meant to have like a character that had a tough, a tough upbringing or a tough beginning and be like, yeah, but there's so much development to show him what it means to have like love and care. Or They can have a tough start. Don't keep them there. Yeah. And he did such good groundwork. And I do love his time as Robin with Dick Grayson as Batman because you get a good older brother bonding vibe and it makes mm-hmm. Damien grow. But to set him up in all the instances Tomasi has, it made Damien a fleshed out character. Yeah. And I, I'm sick of the, the point where people that are Tim fans, like I said, favorite Robin. But I'm sick of it's like, oh, Damien sucks, man. It's like, dude, it's not 2007 anymore. He's got some good stories. I'm but- fine with Tim being Red Robin. None of that Drake shit. We're not going to talk that, about Drake. He, yeah. I, I, I've met Brian Michael Bendis. He's a nice enough guy. I had a good conversation with him about Impulse when he signed my uh, copy of issue one. But uh, none, none Bendis of that is, Drake shit. He loves he, he, his ideas. He does he, love his ideas, and he ruined the Superman family. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he ruined the crap out of him. We'll, we'll, that'll be, that would be a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's characters that have a lot of growth or a lot of opportunity that you can bring forward with, and that's why they are interesting. Mm-hmm. That's why you can develop more. There's thousands of them. And like I said, people are lucky that these new characters are getting in shows. I mean, they have John in the new Superman show. He's not much like John, but still, they brought that name over because of that character. Yeah. Jessica Cruz going to be on HBO Max. The new Miss Marvel character is going to have her own TV show. Like a lot of people are really lucky and that's cool. I wish I would have got some of that luck a few years ago (laughs) for sure. But either way, like at least you're getting adaptations and you know, sometimes they're bad. Like I do have Dick Grayson right now. I have Nightwing right now. I wish I didn't, but like not good. Hey, I don't need to love that character to feel like at least they're trying at least they're putting the name out there or something maybe someone will try to pick up a book because of it mm-hmm. who knows but that's what adaptations are there for just a spark yeah you no know, before that for comics you'd be lucky if you know the toy line would sell out really well yeah people would see like a toy or whatever and be like oh that's cool one of my introductions when i was younger like I used to watch all the animated series and I used to, I used to buy like random comics or whatever, but you know, you'd see like the Batman animated series toy line or whatever. And I'll never forget. It's like, oh, they have like Batman, Batgirl, Nightwing and Robin. And I was like, oh, that black and blue he's looking slick, you know, <laughs> pretty cool. I'll get that. And you know, with not a lot of toys being sold around stores nowadays, you really do got to resort to more marketability, more shows, more things to showcase kids. Yeah. That's where the money's at. Yeah, because when we were kids, it was it was animated shows. It was toys. But now those things aren't prominent. It's not a lot of animated material based on superhero content anymore, especially not on syndicated television. Yeah. You know? Yeah, now it's just, um, you know, DC will release their animated films a couple times a year or whatever. Yeah. And some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Like, yeah, you're taking a chance. Yeah. But either way, you know nobody who's eight is going to pick that film up. Unless maybe their mom is with them at like a Walmart. It's like, oh, it was a new Batman film. I didn't know about this. They bid mm-hmm. it and it's like, oh man, that's that's Batman? And it's weird, but still not not as often as like, oh yeah, I learned about Batwoman from the CW show. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how much you like the quality of show or not, it's a good way of putting the name out there for kids to get excited and be like, oh, I like this character. But there is a lot of that, though, at the same time. It's not just a few things. You know, we have a few animated shows and toys in the market, 
now there's hundreds of superhero products. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to think like, do you think that comic characters have oversaturated the medium of film, film and TV? In a way, yes. And that might be a little bit of superhero burnout for me with regards to the MCU specifically. Um, I can't say that with the DC because they haven't released the films often enough and a lot of them have just been garbage. So it's not so much burnout in general with DC. It's more just sick of bad films. So yeah, I guess there is too much. It, the MCU was a unique beast. They got really lucky when John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. made Iron Man of all things work. A, an otherwise C-list character. He was always part of the Avengers. He was never the main guy. No, they built an entire, uh, what, 20-something film universe, cinematic universe, off of a C-list character. And there were some dud films in, in the franchise, but still, overall, the franchise, I mean, that stuff popped off just after I got out of high school. Iron Man 1 was, what, 2008, I want to say? So yeah, up until just a couple of years ago when we had Endgame, like that's a really long time. They built that, they took their time with that. All of a sudden, everybody else and their brother's kitten decided that it was a good idea to try the same thing, but see if they could do it in a fraction of the time. And the, the fact of the matter is you can't. You can't replicate that scope and scale and put it in a bottle. You know, you, you can't funnel all of that and expect the same quality of work to come out the other side. And uh, we've, we've seen that with DC, with them trying to rush their own cinematic universe, because somebody thought doing the death and return of Superman uh, was a good idea with the second film. And that, that's, that's a tangent for another day. And then the TV shows, we're getting, we're getting far too many TV shows without, I think, the quality of writing to justify it. I actually loved the first season of Supergirl. I thought it was a great cross-section of Kara specifically. I think there were a lot of good choices made in that show. Once it went over to the CW, the writing just almost instantaneously went right down the drain. And that's frustrating for me because I love Kara. She's one of my favorite characters in DC. Um, she was one of the reasons why I came more prominently into comic books because of that Michael Turner storyline. Because the art popped to me so immediately. I saw it on a shelf and I was like, whoa, picked up the book, flipped through it, oh, I'm buying this, right? And that, that started a huge trend of me being into comic books and buying up just droves and droves and doing a lot of catch up work. I think right now with the quality that we're being given, there is a massive oversaturation. I would take, I would be happier, far happier with much less, but much better. I would agree. I feel like, you know, we talk about how Marvel went on a huge kick from Iron Man to Endgame, but we have to also realize they didn't stop. They were forced to, mm -hmm. you know, we, they'd be going still if they could, they'd, they'd have more films out, more shows. I mean, WandaVision's been out. Falcon Winter Soldier comes out soon. They only took a break because of a pandemic. And if there wasn't a pandemic, we'd still have way more material. We already already seen that new Batman film that they were doing with Mike with Matt Reeves. Yeah, yeah, that's supposed to be out next uh, April, I think, is what they officially dated it at, like April yeah, 2022. Because it I just wrapped filming, I guess. Yeah, I think it wrapped uh, today, I think. Yeah. And it's just like, we, we've had such a long longevity of films for superheroes and tv shows it's like pandemic's been so crazy that you know they have to kick back they have to stop or whatever and in a way it's made them very lucky because for people that are suffering burnout it's giving them some time away and to start with tv shows to work them into a short episodic way mm -hmm. of like oh this is like 20 minutes or 
for like some of the CW shows, like Superman one was like an hour, but still it's just a, a TV show. It's a good way of working it back in. Like, Hey man, I hope you had fun recess or getting back to class. Yeah. So now it's going to all come back again and see how well it's going to be received. But it's ironic that you put it that way. It has felt like a breather and yeah. I don't want it to feel like coming back to work or having yeah. to go to class. That should be the escape. The escape should not be escaping from that, right? Yeah. Superheroes are supposed to be idealism and escapism. A lot of this stuff just hasn't been. I and think so, when you put it, you put it earlier about it being like uh, how it was an interesting idea with the way Marvel did stuff because it's connected. Mm-hmm. But when things are connected, it's, it's a lot and you feel like you are burdened. And then a connected tissue makes you burdened to be conjoined to it. Yeah. So We're not going to see anything like the first three phases of Marvel ever again. I know that they're going to start phase four. You know, they're doing Eternals. They're doing Doctor Strange, uh, Multiverse of Madness. They're doing Black Widow whenever that finally comes out. And I'm, I'm, I know they have a couple other films in the pipeline, but we're not going to see the level of cohesion and interlinking that we saw in the first three phases. They can't. I don't think they have the energy for it. They don't have the talent for it now because everybody else they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, that was 10 years, man. I'm good. Good. <laughs> like I'm gonna either start taking some other roles or I'm gonna sit on my porch and sip an iced tea like I'm good man I don't need to work another day in my yeah, life they don't they got paid enough on those films I think another thing with it's important with these characters is how much investment you get in you know with the Marvel films of having so much long-term storytelling you have to get invested and what do you think is a great way to get invested into a character when you're first introduced to them Relatability. Um, people have to have something to latch on to. Like I said, I I look nothing like Kara Zor-El, but when I picked up this book and I read it, I found things about her character that I was able to latch on to, things I was able to identify with. You can do that with any character. You can do that with a well-written villain, right? There, there have been some solo Lex Luthor books out there where they really humanize Lex Luthor while still making you understand that this is a jackass but you can at least attempt to understand where he's coming from in certain respects. And that is integral to people latching onto a character. I can't just latch onto a character because, oh, hey, that guy looks like me. Okay, that might last about five, 10 minutes, right? But if I can't relate to the character on anything other than that, what, what, do, I, what do I care? There's, there's no relatability there. Relatability has to be the first and foremost thing. It has to be at the forefront, really in order for people to truly latch onto a character, latch onto a character to the point, to the level where if that character is done dirty enough times or forgotten entirely, done, right? I can't do this anymore. You guys are doing the character I relate with the most dirty. I take that personally. Fuck you, I'm out. And I've done that. And I came back when it looked like, all right, we're going to walk that back. We're going to fix that. Cool. All right. So I'm willing to come back and we'll repair this relationship. I'm here for that. That is the level of relatability that characters need to have. And not every character needs to relate to every freaking human being. Some characters are going to relate more with some people than others. But well-written characters, literally anyone can find something to latch on to. Because ultimately whether you look like them or not, whether you come from the same background as them or not, we're human. And so what we're going to relate to them on is at a human level, 
We're going to relate to their humanity, how they handle relationships, how they, um, how their morals are, you know, how they, what level they believe in justice. That's the most important thing. That is what creates super fans. That's what creates a fan who, you know, would start off liking a character because they run fast like he can. And moving that from buying up every single possible comic that he can to learn more about that character, to enjoy and love any other medium that properly represents that character, to love that character so much that they will leave and dip out if that character's done dirty or forgotten or erased entirely. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of super fan you want to create. You want people to love and attach themselves to these characters that badly because those are the people that are going to go out and buy stacks and stacks of comic books and, you know, go see the movie in theaters 16 times. They're going to buy the video game. They're going to have the backpack, have the hat, right? They're going to have the shirt. No, I would definitely agree. I mean, you want someone that's going to be a firm supporter, not just a recreational one. I would think that, you know, your character showcases it more than anything of, it's easy for someone to backtrack when you feel like you're done disrespectfully, when, when you feel like it's just such an afterthought. What do you think is one of the biggest sins that a film or show can do when it comes to inter- like producing superhero content? Um, misrepresenting the character, especially for people that, like I said, they're super fans. They latch on to these characters. They, um, again, it's far more than surface level. It's they'll latch on to these characters because they're characters that would get them through their early years where maybe they're bullied and picked on. But these are characters, whether it's the Flash, whether it's Superman, they instilled and they embodied, those characters embodied hope and therefore they instilled that hope within that individual to make them push forward, to make them believe in a better tomorrow. The man of tomorrow would make people believe in a better tomorrow. The, the Flash, who's always moving forward, would make that individual want to continue to move forward in their own life and believe simultaneously in that better tomorrow that will result from that. Misrepresenting that character, whether visually or internally or a combination of both, I think is a great injustice and travesty. It's a trespass. I come from a generation where not everything is a personal attack, but if you personally attack my favorite character, someone that I relate with on a very deep level, that I will take as a personal attack. You're shitting on this character. You're shitting on me, right? And that just goes back to that relatability aspect. When you remove the things that people were relating to, when you decide to translate that character into live action, I'll give very, very brief personal example because, or a specific example, because I could go on and on and rant about this universe for eight years. Ezra Miller's Barry Allen. Barry Allen embodies hope to every bit the same level of the freaking Man of Steel, of Superman. If you lessen that, there are a lot of people that found their hope in that character, in the embodiment of that. You are removing a very important thing from that character, a defining trait I, I would argue that Barry's sense of justice and sense of hope define him far more than his ability to run at the speed of light. His ability to run at the speed of light facilitates his ability to save the world, save the universe. That's cool. But his desire to do that stems from here. Yeah, I mean, that's why when they did the, the Blackest Night series, he was the one uh, character they gave the, the, the Blue, Blue Lantern. Lantern Ring of Hope. Yeah, Honorary member of the, I, the Hope Ring Corps. I love the Green Lantern series. I hate the Blue Lanterns. Because I hate the idea of every lantern having such a solid 
purpose and they're just like the one up for the green lanterns like yeah you superpower them like because there's so much you could do with the idea of hope Mm -hmm. and how to voice that through a lantern ring and it's just so weird that it becomes almost like an extra battery for the green lantern Corps. i thought that's a weird way of doing it because like a big step in the right direction with blackest night was showing how like these lantern rings mean a lot and how together they form life i think the the spectrum of all the different cores was an incredibly cool concept. It's necessary. It it's so necessary because it developed the Green Lantern mythos to another degree. Oh, yeah. You, you have so much to do with space in general, but to not only just make the Green Lanterns feel important, but there's other lanterns. And it gave, yeah. it gave them the ability to focus on different things. Too, yeah. Rather it, than it, just using the same space cop thing over and over. It, which is important because it made the lanterns feel less like military. Yeah. If you make them feel militarized or like just space cops, that's going to put a bad taste in someone's mouth after a certain point, And that's going to hurt. The They'll series. get tired of it. Yeah. So to make them feel more like this is just part of another essence of the world is great. I just feel like for the Blue Lanterns, they should have done more with it. Yeah, because that's fair. Remember when they did War of the Green Lanterns, it's like, oh, we can't be Green Lanterns. I'm going to have a different ring. Oh, Hal takes yellow. Oh, I've dealt with fear before. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Compassion for John. I... I think John has a lot of compassion, even if the, the writers don't like to show that. Mm-hmm. Oh, give Guy Gardner rage. He can utilize rage. Give Kyle hope. Kyle's a really hopeful guy, but that ring doesn't help anybody in this crossover. Yeah. And like, I don't think there's... A, my favorite characters are the ones that do instill hope. Yeah. All of my favorite characters showcase what it means to be trusting, loving, and helpful and hope for a better tomorrow. Because that's the one thing I always want in my life is to be hopeful for the future. Exactly. So I think that lantern ring should showcase so much more. Mm-hmm. And I, that's I definitely like, one they haven't explored much. Truth be told, we both know yeah. they've mainly honed in on the yellow ring of fear and the red of rage more than. Oh, anything. absolutely. So those, those are the two that have gotten all the exposure. That's that's just the way they've decided to go with it, which is unfortunate. I wish they would do more with the other ones. Who knows? Maybe we'll see it happen. Maybe we won't. But that hope is integral. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think hope is one of the reasons people go to superhero content in general is because they like to feel like things can They want to believe in the better tomorrow. Yeah, and superheroes represent what it means to be better, what it means to be someone to look up to, to have an inspiration. You know, I spend my entire life looking at the Nightwing like a role model because it sets a standard of what you want to be like. And it's good for characters to have good role models and for them to have flaws, especially. True, because that makes them relatable because it makes them human. Exactly. Um, I, I disagree with this notion that we have to make everything every hero dark and gritty and brooding as batman we have characters in superhero stories that are dark uh they're typically called villains yeah i I think it's you should have characters relatable but you shouldn't destroy the character you shouldn't make Mm -hmm. them decompressed of what it means to be a hero Mm -hmm. there are anti-heroes you could just look towards them they're awesome you have characters that split between not even being heroes or villains or anti-heroes like harley quinn is an instance where she's not even much of an anti-hero she's just what she wants to be let's be real here they've just turned her into female deadpool nowadays that that's all she is now to them i don't i personally don't like the character deadpool i'm so sick and tired of him i'm not a huge deadpool fan and that's one of the reasons why i don't like harley anymore either because they've just made her female deadpool she does a lot of stupid quips and like she does a lot of stuff that it's similar to Deadpool. But my biggest thing that keeps me into the character of Harley is that they still make her feel real or have like a personality to her that isn't just, oh yeah, I'm crazy. 
and she doesn't break the fourth wall constantly. Like, I know I'm reading a fucking comic, dude. You know I'm reading a comic. Don't tell me. Because like you say, it's an escapism and you're getting involved in the world. I don't want that world to tell me to reflect on, don't forget, this is not real. This is a book dream. It's like, no shit, dude. I know it's a book. Don't. This is escapism. Me. I'm trying to escape from the real for five minutes. Will you, yeah. will you give me five minutes? There are two instances where I've truly loved Harley in the last four years, we'll say, four or five years. Early on in Rebirth, uh, in the Suicide Squad book, actually, they did oh, some yeah. really cool stuff with her um, where they made her sane for that one arc. Well, this is Taylor's run, right? Yeah, very temporarily, but it was really cool because she she was remembering and and kind of there was this internal struggle and you could see the internal struggle, but I mean, God bless Jim Lee for his work. So there was that. And then Tynion has been using her off and on in his current run and he's done some eh, stuff with her and done some really interesting stuff with her. Especially I, the end, the last few issues he's done with her, I've been yeah. very high on. I, I like how he's utilizing and leveraging her with um, Clown Hunter. Like, hey, don't don't go down this path. Don't do this. Mm. Don't be me, right? Don't end up like me. And as much as I prefer the, the Joker-Harley villain dynamic, I think if you're going to make her like this questionable quasi-sometimes ally of Batman, you got to do it right. And you have to leverage her experience and what she went through in that storytelling in order to make it organic. Otherwise, I just don't believe it. You you just tell me that Harley's a good guy now. I don't believe you. It doesn't that, work that way. I think that's what they're trying to pull for is making her a full hero now. But um, there's a good story to tell out of it. And there especially with the, with the direction that Tynan wants to go with it, I think you can tell that story. Yeah, and you can already tell they're trying to replace her. We got Punchline, punch uh, which... I don't know, landed okay for me. People were going crazy on the internet. This is a new Harley. I, was, I don't need a new Harley. Just have Joker do his own shit, I guess. Um, though I'd, I'd like for them to back off a little bit with Joker. He's been overused quite I a bit I think they're lately. going to now, hopefully. Because Tyron, he likes to tell his story with certain characters and then find the next character to fit another molding, which mm-hmm. I think is great about him because you know you're getting diversity with it. You're not getting the same old shit over and over again. Yeah. He's trying to say, you got this. I did a good job. I might come back to it. So I'll foreshadow to it, but that's not an immediate thing. Don't worry. Right. I'll come back to it when I feel I can tell a new story with it is, yeah. is his style. And I'm 100% on board with that. So it'll be interesting. Getting back to the superior content for like adaptations though. I think one big question that everyone's been asking lately, which is like the most important thing is, does superhero content benefit cinema current? And like how long-term is the investment of superhero content going to be? Well, that depends on how long uh, creatives want to tell good stories. I think they have to tell good stories with it. They have to do it right. I feel like if they continue down the burnout road that we've been on for a while, that it's not going to benefit the industry because movies are going to start to flop. But if you tell good stories, people people will come, right? As long as you don't have this this hot streak of garbage, people will be excited and they'll see it. People naturally gravitate towards superhero films and for good reason. Uh, it creates a lot of jobs, that's for sure, because there's an immense amount of people and work that goes into crafting these films, these works of fiction um, and TV shows. So I think in that regard, it benefits. From a storytelling perspective, there, there are arguments for and against it. Most superhero films aren't telling really any new stories. They're, they're utilizing slightly different tweaks and takes on stories that have been told over and over and over. So it's not necessarily things that are 
brand new or groundbreaking, but at the same time, they don't necessarily need to be. These are meant to be escapism and idealism. And so I don't need a mind-blowing narrative that you know raises existential questions within me to just enjoy a freaking film. So I think for the good that is done, it has outweighed the bad from a cinematic perspective. I just, uh, I do think it is time for a breather for them to reassess what it means to properly do superhero cinema. No, I would definitely agree. I think it's a great thing you brought in the fact about how it does bring a lot of jobs and prosperity to people with superhero cinema. Another great point I heard from somebody that is, uh, you know, a lot of movie businesses and theaters are struggling as is. And if these films aren't ranking in billions of dollars, it's already tough for them to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to films as often as, as you think they are. It's like, a, it's like going to a bookstore where you just feel it's always going to be there. But the less and less amount of people go, next thing you know, your favorite bookstore is gone. It's like, oh man, can you imagine what that's going to be like if it's a movie theater? Where it's like, I can't even go see this film anymore. We don't have any movie theaters nearby. And I know people have that same reaction. Like, oh, uh, I've had comic stores that I used to love going to that don't, that aren't around anymore. And it's like, that feeling sucks. It's not that I'm not supporting them, but like, it, it's tough. And it's slowly becoming how like, even these big corporate businesses like movie theaters, it's like, everything's not cut and dry. You don't get everything forever. So if you want these things, you want these films, you've got to support it. Yep. And superhero support totally it with your wallet. Way. Yeah, it's been a great way of showing that people will give support. Support it with your wallet, not with your words on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great way to, to capitalize it. I mean, that's all I really had to ask on that. And, and thank you so much. Yeah. No, man, this has been a pleasure. A ton of fun. I appreciate right. you. You have a phenomenal rest of your day. You too. Bye. Peace. Cool. Jeff on? I hope so, because I know we did, or I at least assume we did, because it's been like six weeks since that video was made, and it took me a while to get all this stuff done, but it's all done now, so I hope you had fun, because I know I did. <laughs> Thanks for joining me.